This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, September 19th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 275. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that will take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. What's up, everybody? We're coming out of the weekend with a big Tuesday edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. As we've got a great slate of guests coming in as well, we'll sit down with the executive director for Chairwoman, Elise Stefanik, Alex DeGrasse for the first time. We'll have the online general of Trump's online meme team, Brendan Dilley, joining us as well. We'll sit down with Case Pack Executive Director Brian Leib, great friend of the show, and Trump Constitutional Attorney Jesse Benal is going to be here as well. Lots of news developing and breaking out of the weekend. Joe Biden's talking at the UN General Assembly. We'll touch in and out of that and see what's going on between him and Vladimir. We'll also talk about the chaos up on Capitol Hill, a Kevin McCarthy back Byron Donald's sponsored CR reared its ugly head this weekend. Matt Gates and the rest of the 20 were not having it. Donald Trump was at two events over the weekend, the Stand, Pray, and Vote Summit and the Concerned Women for America's Conference. We'll get highlights from both of those, and we'll have a full breakdown of Donald Trump meeting the press and Kristen Welker for the first time. But before we get into the any of the headlines, let's take it over to the Empire State and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, everybody. Welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Rowan Noah's here as well. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And getting things started on the show today, we're going to take it to Albany, New York, where we're going to be joined by the executive director for Chairwoman Elise Stefanik. He's also a GOP strategist. Really excited to sit down and talk with, for the first time, Mr. Alex DeGrasse. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you guys for giving the opportunity to join. Look forward to it. We're glad to have you here. Busy times right now up on Capitol Hill. Alex, we're not going to get into the nitty-gritty at the back and forthness of the uh, you know potential budget deadline here. The presented continuing resolution over the weekend was pushed back on a little bit by House Republicans. There's some you know infighting as people, everybody wants to have their voices heard. As far as the process goes of keeping the government open, and when you look for you know potential avenues that this could go down, do you think this is a positive thing to for the direction we're moving in, or do you just feel like this is all part of the process that uh, – you know, at some point, uh, Republicans, whether you're a moderate, whether you consider yourself like in the delegation of America first, whether you might be, you know, someone who identifies as a House Freedom Caucus member, that they all kind of have to get on the same page at some point and, and, and rule with the majority as they were voted to do. Sure. I think it's a very big team effort. I think conversations are important. This is the process playing out with Republicans. You know, we have diverse as a big 10. You compare that to the Democrats where there's some strength and minuses on how they kind of stick together and kind of just roll with it right in a way it's sort of impressive but this type of democratic dialogue as we kind of move towards um you know a deal that will fund the government uh probably give us time to continue these negotiations i think republicans are very unified in the goal of securing the border and you know dramatically cutting spending i would say and so how that works out within the details that will play out among the members which is a very important process in those types of discussions now, Alex, it doesn't matter if you're some kind of a what, what you would consider to be a moderate Republican or super America first, especially in the House of Representatives. 
when you see how bad the, the numbers on the border have ramped up over the last two weeks and the fact now that, you know, news outlets can't even hide it, you're, you're getting thousands of, of illegal aliens who have crossed the border right now just being bused to the interior of border cities. I'm talking about Laredo, El Paso, uh, places like Tucson, and even San Diego now, and they're just getting dropped off by the hundreds and thousands in neighborhoods. Uh, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. And it seems like, you know, the Biden administration, especially Alejandro Mayorkas, they just don't care. I think that's right. I think that's right. I think moderate, quote unquote, Republicans are on the exact same page as, you know, I think the party is very unified in the Biden border crisis. That's what we call it. And here in New York, we've got the Biden border crisis and we've got Kathy Hochul's crisis and we've got Eric Adams's crisis, all of them working together. It's far left open border policies and the sanctuary policies that have incentivized and caused this massive crisis. I mean, certainly in the Southwest, as you mentioned, the videos or horrible. And I think it's so disgraceful and possibly treasonous when you look at these elected officials that are supposed to swear an oath to protect the border, protect the rule of law. Of course, you look at New York, where we could have a million illegals for all we know, hundreds of thousands are pouring in. There is mass unrest. Okay, crime is surging. There's rapes and deaths, now murders in upstate from illegal immigrants. It doesn't even matter if you're a Democrat, independent or Republican. Almost everyone's on the same page. Public polling shows in New York, 82% of people think in New York State that uh, the migrant, quote unquote, issue, we call it the illegal issue, is greatly, uh, out of, you know, is blowing up in a, quote, serious issue. Kathy Hochul, Eric Adams, Biden all receive low grades. So I think we do have unity. I think, you know, whether how it gets worked out is being talked about, of course, but I think Republicans on all parts of the party are pretty unified that securing the border is our top priority alongside dramatically reducing spending as was laid out in the previous deal. So I think that's where people are. And I think you look at New York state where we have more bipartisan Republicans, of course, because that's how it is here um, from a voter enrollment perspective as well. But they are really championing this border issue. And we've made very, very clear that if New York Democrats want to, you know, want to solve this crisis, they should have Chuck Schumer take up the house Republicans H.R. 2, Secure the Border Act, and pass that bill, or come to the table and negotiate with Republicans in good faith. Let's get a deal and let's secure this border as it was under President Trump, who, of course, myself and my boss are backing 100 percent. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And, and you know, it's got to be great to sit, uh, you know, have the vantage point of the chairwoman's office up there in New York and just watch Eric Adams and Kathy Holchel just absolutely melt down and try to justify. I mean, we had Pat Fallon on the show last week, and he told us if if the, the money that Eric Adams is proposing in New York City alone to fund the migrant crisis there is like a legitimate dollar amount that he's proposing, then it would cost border states trillions of dollars to manage the amount of bodies. So, you know, these people, they don't live in reality. And it's like, I think the good part about more moderate Republicans coming on board with things like HR2 and just overall, you know, getting back to Trump era policies when it comes to border security, if you stay on the sidelines for too long, like a lot of these sanctuary cities have for decades, when the migrant problem physically comes to you, there's no way you can manage it. And, and places like, the, you know, those cities that we mentioned at the top here on the U.S. southern border that have been getting slammed for the last 40 years because of open borders are, are now probably enjoying it a little bit more to see places like New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, and Philadelphia all reap the same non-rewards that they're getting because of the border crisis. All right, Alex, let's segue a little bit. You know, there's some other breaking news out of New York today. Joe Biden 
spoke, I guess I'm air quoting here, at the United Nations General Assembly. We also saw, you know, uh, Vladimir Zelensky was there uh, for all of the world to see him asking for more help and uh, funding for Ukraine. As you're watching all of this stuff kind of unfold in real time, what can you tell us is the latest? You know, I think uh, you look at the polling and Biden, I mean, Biden is underwater dramatically. I mean, we look at the polling, you guys see the polling, I mean, he's losing to Trump, period. I think the polling averages has that in the battleground stage. Just in New York State, the Siena College poll, which I think is left-leaning, frankly, has Biden at like 44% favorable, losing to President Trump by 13 points. That matches what our polling has in New York. We're seeing President Trump essentially lift in all of these key New York states by about 8 percentage points from where he was in 2020. We're seeing that across the country. I think the support for President Trump is strengthening, especially with minority voters, especially with uh, quote unquote suburban women sort of moderate voters that understand that this is a clear contrast between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. I mean, you can talk about this or that and people have you know their own issues when they're going to the ballot box, but let's just look at the policies. I mean, as someone that I support President Trump 100%, you can't argue with anyone and say that things were not better under President Trump. I mean, even people that don't like President Trump say that. That's what polling shows. And I think we have a very strong base of support that I don't think is understood. I mean, you guys understand it, of course, but as you look at the mainstream media, they're kind of just waking up about it, and I think it's melting down. So you look at Zelensky, you look at Ukraine and Biden, all of that is sort of unpopular, I think. You know, Ukraine and stuff, I mean, this we have big issues here, I think, right? And, um, of course, Congress has sent a lot of money to Ukraine, but I think when you look at what do we need right now? I think what's impressing in front of us is this border crisis, obviously spending and inflation. And that's what I think most people are kind of looking at. But I think Joe Biden's in very, very serious trouble politically, I think, not just with this impeachment inquiry um, and what's going on there, but I think at the ballot box for sure. Well, let's finish with that. I think it's really important to talk about where we're at now and, and what a year from now looks like. Uh, you know, as the maps are unfolding right now, and if you just want to start off with the House, Alex, you know, I, I think you could probably agree as someone who, you know, works from a, from a standpoint of leadership here in the House of Representatives, if we would have been able to get 12, 15, 20 more House seats in the 2022 midterm elections, it would have been a lot easier to have H.R. 2 already passed. It would have been a lot easier to see Limit Save Grow defeated Joe Biden budget, uh, you know, when it came up to time for a vote. And then as the Senate map kind of unfolds, I believe there's like 24 Democrat Senate seats who are up for defense, plus two independents, which essentially are, you know, Democrat votes. The numbers, in addition to President Trump being at the top of the ticket, are extremely favorable for Republicans heading into next year's election cycle. When you talk about some of the complaints and the gripes that, let's just say, America First, the the Trump-supporting delegation of Congress have, and all the constituents who put those people in office right now, you know, we have so many of them come on the show, really great congressmen and women who just say, listen, this is what I'm fighting for, but at the end of the day, it's about votes, it's about votes, it's about votes. Would you like to see as much, you know, party unity as possible to make sure we get some more of those strong America First votes up on Capitol Hill next year, not just in the White House, but in the Senate and the House of Representatives as well? Yeah, certainly. Look, I think that we will determine our our destiny here as america first patriots you know myself included i think there were so many tight races when you look at these races i mean there were like 10 15 races that were down to one or two percent in either which direction so many kind of could have would have should have opportunities that are tough you know i mean it's very tough to kind of 
look at this stuff from a national lens each race is different and whatnot but the map is very narrow and certainly a bigger majority does give us more flexibility i think as a party and so certainly the goal is to increase that majority we're going to look at a smaller map at play we're looking at 37 seats target as opposed to maybe 75 last time so it's going to be a very very close trench war for hr2 uh, did pass Congress. We're working on trying to enact that into law. Yep. Uh, we did pass that, which I think was a great victory um, for the Speaker, for Republicans, for unity, I think, in general. And I think that for the listeners on this call, I, I tell everyone, I used to do this in the war room, make a list, five, ten voters. For right now, let's focus on independence. Let's focus on what we call swing voters. Who do you know? Who's on the fence? Who's not opposed to supporting Republicans? Who maybe needs more information? Let's work them now. Let's get those from maybe voters to guarantee voters. And then as we get closer to election day, you need to make a list. Five, ten voters. I'd ask ten of America First Patriots, and let's just make sure they vote. If all of our people vote, we are going to win like never before. But people don't vote, and I think it's just something crazy, right? Maybe they don't think it matters or they're in a tough area. But you look at New York State. I mean, we're in upstate. This is Trump country, right? And when we were going around in 2022, they were saying, oh, we can never beat New York City. You know, we don't have the votes in you know the MAGA parts of New York State. And then we only lost by six points for governor. And, you know, you tell people everything is on the line. Every vote matters. The local races, the primary races. We need our patriots really, really involved at the local of the precinct strategy. So getting involved with your local party, your county party, volunteering is so so important it's really the most important thing i believe that you can do is volunteering your time at the local level to assist those members of congress assist the campaigns you support you can help virtually you can email team at elisteforcongress.com we can set you up with your local member or any candidates that you like you can make calls from home you donate 10 20 bucks all of that stuff really matters as we harness our power and go up against what is going to be the biggest Democrat dark money machine. I'm talking a billion dollars across the board, you know, across the country for House, Senate, President, all this other stuff. And it's going to take all of us both working on those swing voters, get, you know, educating them on the policies and what we're doing as a Republican Party. And then as we get closer to election day, making sure our people are turning out. I'm telling you, if you were to look at the numbers, of voters that voters that voted for president trump which is amazing and maybe they and then they don't vote for congress right or they don't vote for governor and they vote you know the presidential year we need our people voting on every race it's so important to build a bench of republicans at the local state because that's really how we can push the america first agenda i feel very strongly about that no and we agree with you here it's the same kind of message we try to propagate every week on the show and here's the thing for all the pundits who who were so dialed into the last election cycle not only were they wrong about a lot of things but when you think the power in the house was decided by you know places like new york state and california it's like those battle lines are drawn all the way across the country these house seats uh, you know the 37 to 40 that you mentioned are the ones that are going to decide how much more of a majority we get in the house moving forward and then you know hopefully after next year get back to work. Alex, this was great sitting down with you today. Obviously, we're going to live link the chairwoman's website in the show description today, but yeah. for anyone that's not following you on social media or wants to check you out more, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at DeGrasse81. I'm on Truth Rumble. Um, 
at DeGrasse, Getter and all that. I really appreciate you guys having me on. We're going to work to get uh, the chairwoman on. I would happy to come on. We can talk more in depth on anything. We can go race by race for people that are interested in kind of the weeds. You guys let me know. Thank you for all you guys do to kind of involve everyone and educate all the listeners out there. So thank you. Hey, listen, we're out here supporting America first. You guys are fighting for it up on Capitol Hill. This is the executive director for chairwoman Elise Stefanik. He's also one of the best GOP strategists out there. Mr. Alex DeGrasse, thanks for joining us on the show and getting things started today. Thank you, guys. And Greg, you have major trust and confidence issues in the institutions, right? And the Democrats and Republicans say this is a major problem. And here you have somebody who is part of the conversation to spend millions of our taxpayer dollars Mm -hmm. on things, and he gets to wear gym clothes to work. Well, when asked if he was happy about the change, Fetterman blinked twice for yes. (laughs) But Fetterman, come on, even Frankenstein wore a suit jacket, right? Yeah. Uh, what, What do you say to that? Well, you know, her platform, you know, really, she runs on more and more dingling, you know, picks, you know, on uh, in the the, me- the meetings uh, over in, in the Congress. So, I, again, uh, I, I'm not really sure why she cares how I dress, uh, but, you know, she really takes it a different way. Great. I feel excellent about that. And there should be no confusion about it. I think um, someone was trying to get me to pick a fight with uh, my friend Nancy Pelosi, which I'm not going to do. We're all behind the Biden-Harris administration, which has delivered spectacular, remarkable victories in a $1.2 trillion in infrastructure of America, in the Inflation Reduction Act, in dramatic reductions in health care costs for the American people, in the Medicare program, in real climate um, change uh, advocacy and um, defense against the nightmare of, uh, the, the, of climate change. So we've been making tremendous progress under Biden-Harris. The challenge that every journalist in America is facing, some might want to avoid it, might want to pretend it's not a problem, might want to pretend they figured it out. But it's an incredibly hard problem to solve, uh, this torrent of lies uh, directed at an institution that's trying to get to the truth. And mm. Ari, that's why we need this kind of coverage all the time to try to figure out the best, best path to being louder than the liars. That's our job. We are supposed mm. to be louder than the liars. From Donald Trump this week after House Republicans announced an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. The move has gotten pushback from both sides of the aisle, but a new Reuters poll shows the country is divided on the issue. 41% support the idea, 35% are opposed, and 24% just aren't sure. It's a good thing I love a challenge. Every day is going to be a challenge. We've got a long week. We're not, we're not September 30th yet, but the one thing I'll tell everybody, um, I've never seen anybody win a shutdown. You only put the power in the hands of the administration. If you want to secure the border, pass Homeland. If you want to make uh, America strong and secure, you pass the DOD Propes Bill. If you're not willing to pass appropriation bills, and you're not willing to pass a continuing resolution to allow you to pass the rest of appropriation bills, and you don't want an omnibus, I don't quite know what you want. So, I mean, we just have to get together, figure it out, and move forward. ...have operated since that deal was... A bipartisan deal was struck for certain top-line spending numbers for all of the funding bills that have to be passed to make the budget keep the government running. The Senate has basically been delivering those and passing them by big 91-7 bipartisan majorities. The House today looks like it's falling apart. You've already got 17 no votes in that House Republican caucus saying we're not passing anything. What, what do you think's happening here? 
Yeah, you know, like I, I truly, I was, I was very proud of my colleagues, you know, because they're really about governance. That's what it is. And on the other, the, the house, the, the whatever they call themselves, Team America or whatever they call themselves, <laughs> I just like, hey, I just like bring your vote. You know, otherwise, you know, they need to go hump a different leg. I think Republican hardliners should abandon their threat to shut down the government over their spending priorities now that there is this impeachment. No, I think if they don't get a fair deal, we have to save our country. We have $35 trillion in debt. We have to save our country. So you would you know, shut down the government? You'd support that? I'd shut down the government if they can't make an appropriate deal. Absolutely. Well, a lot of news coming out of Capitol Hill this week. It's been busy-ish, to say the least. Sounds like it. What do you think the Dems' plan is for rolling out John Fetterman in primetime interviews as we're getting started with the news portion of our podcast here? I just, I don't understand why he can't wear normal clothes. Like, I would understand a sweatshirt okay. and some pants. You're talking about slacks? It's slacks, golf pants, whatever, something. But I, I just don't, I mean, is, is he incapable of putting pants on? <laughs> I mean, it's like... Zelensky, every other person in the fucking planet going to one of these events that he goes to is wearing a suit, and he has to wear his tactical green onesie. <laughs> He's wearing it at the United Nations today as Joe Biden. What's, I just don't get it, and it's, it's, it's purely theater because there's no reason why. It's not like, oh, you know, I had to come from war-torn country and I did not have my carry-on suitcase. It's like, no, the guy's staying at like a five-star hotel and... Probably getting that green sweat suit <laughs> laundered daily. So John Fetterman said suits make him sad. And really? We all, we all know he did a, a few months stint over at Walter Reed. Suits uh, make him sad. Battling depression. Do pants make him sad? <laughs> I don't, you know, Chuck Schumer has... A I mean, I, pants do make me sad. I, if I could wear shorts at all times, I probably would. Okay. Chuck Schumer changed the rules this week in the Senate officially to make... Uh, he's abandoned the dress code. It just looks funny with cowboy boots. Yeah, I guess before we get into the news, we might as well touch on it. So John Fetterman had his first Twitter win <laughs> this week. So they come few and far between. I guess it should be a public holiday now. Well, Ron DeSantis weighed in on the abandonment of the dress code in the Senate. And, uh, you know, at a speaking event, he mentioned it and then put it into a post on, on Twitter. So here's the Ron DeSantis quote. The U.S. Senate just eliminated its dress code because you got this guy from Pennsylvania, Fetterman, who's got a lot of problems. He wears, like, sweatshirts and hoodies and shorts. We need to be lifting up our standards in this country, not dumbing them down. Okay. So John Fetterman, his official account on Twitter, quoted the Ron DeSantis post and said, I guess I dress like he campaigns. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a self-own, but like also an own at the same time. <laughs> That's a good one. Good for him. Yeah. He wrote that one all by himself, too, I'm sure. Probably. Because it's literally like, I know you are, but what am I? So there's also been, you've seen the meme of like the eight different John Fettermans that's going around social media. Mm -hmm. So John Fetterman also, quote, tweeted another one of those and, and changed his name to Senator Guy Incognito, Democrat Pennsylvania on Twitter and put the Homer with the mustache. Nice. Like he just, they don't care. Well, I mean, they're, they're trying to fight fire with fire and whoever's doing his political campaign postings. Cause I, I honestly, I don't think it's him. Sure. It's either his wife or one of his staffers. It, it's definitely some younger staffer who they hired based on shit posting ability. I like it. 
just a big distraction while the stuff's going on. You know, we'll be talking about it in depth today with a couple of our guests. So Ray Epps was finally charged in, in January 6th. Jaywalking? It, essentially some obstruction misdemeanor that's not going to... Obstruction of a crosswalk. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a slap on the wrist, to say the least. Angrily fingering of a fence. Mm. But we need to go into the Capitol. <laughs> oh, the insurrections in the Capitol. Mm. But again, up on Capitol Hill, that's where the there there is this week. You know, we're, we're running up hard on the September 30th deadline to fund the government. Uh, surprisingly, over the weekend, we saw a little bit of a fracture in America First. So... Most likely two potential gubernatorial candidates in the state of Florida in 2026, House Representatives Matt Gates and Byron Donalds, have been butting head all weekend. Apparently Donalds led a, a, a McCarthy-appointed congregation of House Republicans to formulate a continuing resolution, someone that nobody wants. Uh, even before Donalds was able to present this to the House of Representatives over the weekend, we've had Corey Mills, Wesley Hunt, Kevin Kiley, uh, Mike Collins... Pat Fallon, all come on the show and all say that they are 100% not for a CR because all a CR does is give the Democrats time to work on an omnibus. And once you get that, it's like shut down or fund the government for reals, not just at the end of the fiscal year, what they're trying to do now. Yeah, if you give them time, they're going to fill up like what, like five little Red Rider wagons of paper, Mm. basically. Don't get Rand Paul started. Yeah, radio flyer. But before we get into that, there was a little work going on besides John Fetterman shitposting on Twitter on the Senate side of, of, of the Capitol. And Mitch McConnell, who's had a pretty easy time going as Senate minority leader and, and worked almost seamlessly with Joe Biden for nearly the first three years of his presidency, getting bridges and energy deals in his state so Joe Biden can get legislation passed through the Senate, was not feeling the exact same way when it came to the Iran deal that was announced last week on 9-11. Let's hear the Senate Minority Leader. Today, uh, five American hostages are on their way home from unjust detention in Iran. Unfortunately, the deal that secured their release may very well be the latest example of President Biden rewarding and incentivizing Tehran's bad behavior. Over the past two and a half years, the administration's weakness and desperation have emboldened emboldened a massive state sponsor of terror and would-be nuclear-armed aggressor. Take the $6 billion the United States has reportedly just released to the Iranian regime. Administration officials have insisted that this money is subject to strict oversight and may only be used for humanitarian purposes. Iran's president, on the other hand, understands that money is fungible. He said, and this is the exact quote, humanitarian means whatever the Iranian people need. And the needs of the Iranian people will be decided and determined by the Iranian government, end quote. Sounds like our government. Well, (laughs) Madam President, we know quite well that the Iranian people's needs and the Iranian regime's priorities rarely overlap. So there was that. Mm-hmm. We want to talk about strong finger wagging. Yesterday, we also passed $33 trillion in, in national debt for the first time. And with the passing of any kind of budget this coming fiscal year, we'll, we'll be surpassing $35 trillion. 
in national debt. It's it's going to get to the point where we're unable to even. It'll be an insurmountable number once it gets to a certain point mm-hmm. where you can't even touch the interest. It's getting ugly. I mean, it's been ugly. It's getting uglier. Yeah. As we're going to focus in now on this right here, and we're going to have Brandon Dilly in to talk about you know stuff going on with President Trump at the end of the segment. It was great kind of laying this out there to get things started with Alex DeGrasse for the first time today as well about this continuing resolution that kind of reared its ugly head over the weekend. So we're, we're talking about the national debt, $33 trillion at the moment, plus heading towards $35 trillion. All of the other stuff that's going on, you, you have seen the border really ramp up. The wave that a lot of people thought was going to happen right after the Biden administration was able to defeat Title 42 uh, it's happening now. It's essentially like five, six months later. Um, I know ICE. Well, it's not that it didn't happen right after that, but now it's like everybody's like, ah, you know, I'm not really sure if I'm going to come just in case. But now all the people that were like on the fence, like, yeah, they're, they got their tickets. They're, they're ready to rock. Now, when you say on the fence. Well, I mean, literally, no <laughs> pun intended. Gotcha. Um, just some numbers out of uh, – ICE and U.S. Customs and Border Patrol over the weekend. Friday, 7,989 people crossed the border illegally. Saturday, 6228 crossed it illegally. Sunday, 7,413 crossed the border illegally. And just yesterday in uh, Del Rio, one group of migrants, it was the largest group ever to cross at one time, 2,147 crossed at once into detention illegally uh, from Mexico. Are these actual, they're they're classifying them as illegal entries? Or is this the uh, government Tinder app or whatever it is? These are coming from a lot of the people who are on the ground, independent journalists that are kind of literally counting the people as they come in uh, once they're staged by Border Control and Customs. Also, I'm seeing that a lot of this independent reporting is saying that these illegal apprehensions are happening literally within hundreds of yards of ports of entry where apparently these people are supposed to be coming in. And then there's the whole issue. We've heard a lot of our congressmen talk about the misuse of the CBP-1 app where I guess you could schedule your illegal crossing. (laughs) They're saying... The rate of that being used now is all the way down to 25% when you look at the numbers of people who are actually coming in. Wait, so they're using the app less? Way less, because it's just easier than having to download an app. I mean, your- who likes a schedule, really? I mean, come on. I thought it was the CBP Jose app. <laughs> now, we've seen uh, on the news, it, it started last week quietly, but has made national attention. I saw it on both Fox News and Newsmax over the last 24 hours, they're just taking busloads of uh, illegals, let's just say in places like San Diego, driving them into the middle of the city and literally releasing them by the hundreds. How long until we have literal Lord of the Flies battles against the bums in San Diego? Because like, like you're you're in our territory. Well, that's the thing. Yesterday I did see on the local news here, I watched it last night, like the 11 p.m. edition of of the news down here in Southern California. So there was a homeless person. (laughs) And they were complaining about the migrants? No, the cops were were called on him because he was in the fountain of a hotel in in downtown San Diego bathing himself. And the lady who was on the phone with the police was yelling at him, and and he was obviously swearing at her. Uh But then the migrants that were there were getting in the fountain to wash themselves with him because they hadn't showered in months. So now, so now they have to uncall the cops because 
That'd be racist. The homeless people and the migrants are teaming up. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to have literal cities. Like, you know, the, the, the videos and and the pictures of like the bums with like, they set up a bar Mm -hmm. and like a literal whorehouse Mm -hmm. and like, you know, a pallet fucking condominium. Like they're going to build cities under bridges and in fields and wherever it's going to be amazing. Foreclosed homes. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah, it's ugly. And when they figure out the squatting laws, it's going to be wild. Yeah. Yeah. Lock, I, lock your doors. That's racist. Well, especially if you have a Airbnb. Mm. <laughs> All right, let's get back into this right now. So Kevin McCarthy worked with some of the America First House Republicans, namely Byron Donalds, on, on drafting a continuing resolution to fund the government. That would be from September 30th through October 30th. 2023. All it does is keep the lights on. Some of the incentives that were interwoven into this continuing resolution, they know they needed America first to at least give it a smell test before they said they weren't going to vote on it. So it wanted to, for 30 days and 30 days only, you would lower the totality of government spending by 8%. 8%? 8. Which when you you look at a multi-trillion dollar budget, it's not horrible. Yeah. And it passed the HR2 for 30 days only. And that would be the Border Security Act of 2023 mm-hmm. without E-Verify. Without E-Verify. Mm-hmm. E-Verify is something we want, I would assume. Yes. Yeah, like that, a lot. Yes, very much so. Like, yeah. it has Verify in the word. So, Therefore, it's not okay because, you know, you, ID is racist. That way you can't hire illegals or people that are in the process of claiming asylum in the United States because they don't have status here. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it protects American jobs. Here's the thing. Matt Gates. And some of our favorites up in the House of Representatives were the first to push back on this, saying that, you know, all this does is continue to fund fund all of the things that we don't want funded. Uh, He said that the 8% reduction in overall government spending is basically like, who cares? Because it's only for 30 days. And then when you talk about the implementation of H.R. 2, Matt Gates clearly said Alejandro Mayorkas and the Department of Homeland Security just aren't going to adhere to that, Mm -mm. which we've seen him do for the entirety of his reign as the cabinet-level position and head of DHS. We're talking about Alejandro Mayorkas there. Ollie? Mm, Good old Ollie. The firestorm started on Twitter. You even had Matt Gates and and Byron Donaldson in doing posts with each other, arguing back and forth. You know, Matt Gates saying, Hunter Biden's still not subpoenaed. J6 tapes aren't released. We don't have any kind of, you know, process going on to get these appropriation bills done. Jack Smith's still funded with the special counsels. And Byron Donalds would push back and say, like, it doesn't matter if we fund the Department of Justice or, or defund the Department of Justice. Jack Smith and the special counsel will still live on. And mm-hmm. it, it was kind of tit for tat with that. Kevin McCarthy, I believe he was on Mornings with Maria Sunday as we kind of get into this right now. Let's hear him. Uh, kind of defend the continuing resolution. It's not something I lay out there that that Matt's mad about an ethics complaint. It's an ethics complaint that happened in the last Congress that Matt went to other members saying, I'm going to try to influence Kevin to get involved in an ethics complaint. I can't do it. Yeah. It's illegal. It, it's, it, pretty it, extraordinary. it's not something I will be a part of. The speaker says this is really about an ethics complaint. Your response. My response is really going to surprise you. 
This is about term limits, a balanced budget amendment, and single subject spending bills, just like I've been saying for an entire year. I am the most investigated man in the entire Congress. Mm. And right there, you saw Kevin McCarthy lying like a dead dog because I have never asked him to interfere in any ethics matter. I had the okay. FBI and DOJ who hate me investigate me for three years. You covered it nearly nightly. And even you acknowledged at the end that my denials held up consistently. And the people who spread lies about me are sitting in a federal prison right now because they were part of a criminal scheme, not me. In, well, in fairness, it is true the DOJ closed the case. As you mentioned, we reported that. Uh, it is interesting to see you go to this point with the speaker. He seems to be implying that you are not doing these things for the reasons you say, but that you were requesting or perhaps through other people requesting some special handling or, or, or treatment in the ethics complaint. You're saying that's a lie tonight. That and here's the thing, you know, the people who Matt Gates was completely exonerated of all the lies that they had proprieted against him in regards to, you know, saying he was like trafficking minors and oh and yeah, that all ridiculous. that ridiculous. So in the ethics complaint, whether it's moving as, as fast enough as possible or, you know, one sided geared to with a bias towards Matt Gates and whether or not he's positioned anybody to try and hold McCarthy his feet to the fire in regards to moving on it, or at least, you know, trying to investigate what the there there is. That has nothing to do with, you know, Kevin McCarthy saying that the only reason Matt Gates is mad at him and, and is considering this continuing resolution DOA on its arrival is because of that. Matt Gates has outlined very specifically on just why he wants to not have this continuing resolution pass. And it's because essentially we're funding the government to a point to where they can either draft another one or present an omnibus bill, which Listen, they've already defeated the Republicans at, at every angle here in the slim majority that they have in the House to where it's nearly irrelevant. At some point, and I guess it's very uh, appropriate that they do it at the end of the fiscal year, at some point they're going to have to hold the line. So Matt Gates took to the House floor yesterday where he outlined some of his uh, concerns with this and pushed back on Byron Donalds himself and the continuing resolution that he worked on on the behest of Speaker McCarthy, let's hear it. Mr. Speaker, I'm not voting for a continuing resolution. I'm not voting to continue the failure and the waste and the corruption and the election interference, and in some cases, the efforts that could lead this country into World War III. I oppose the CR authored by my friend and colleague from Florida, Byron Donalds. The Donald CR continues the Ukraine policy negotiated by Speaker Pelosi Hate and that. Mitch McConnell mm. in the omnibus that conservatives were against. The Donald CR is a permission slip for Jack Smith to continue his election interference as they are trying to gag the president, the former president of the United States and the leading contender for the Republican nomination. And the Donald CR abandons the principle that it is only a review of single subject spending bills that will save this country and allow us to tweeze through these programs and force these agencies to stand up and defend their budget. My friends, we are approaching the days where we're facing $2 trillion annual deficits atop a $33 trillion debt. This is unsustainable. And just to continue things with some facial 8% cut over 30 days that will lead to no programmatic reform is an insult to the principles we fought for in January. I yield back. What do you think? Yeah. Makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, you know... When you talk about getting HR2 in there and the fact that the Department of Homeland Security is not even going to acknowledge it, 
And all of that delicious Ukraine funding is in there. Some of the Pelosi, McConnell, Schumer brokered fun forever waredness. Mm. What can you say? Matt Gates came out this morning also. And in a letter to Kevin McCarthy, I'm reading from a Twitter post now. Matt Gates is done playing games. He has drafted a subpoena for Hunter Biden that only requests one person's signature. Speaker McCarthy. And here's the letter. In accordance with the House of Representatives, duty to investigate President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr.'s alleged bribery and other high crimes and misdemeanors in the furtherance of this House's impeachment inquiry, please find and comply with this lawful subpoena. This subpoena hereby orders the production of relevant document material as they set forth and is attached in the schedule, followed by your participation in one or more days of deposition testimony. The deposition will be under oath will be led by the professional staff of the Judiciary Committee as well as its members. Likewise, all the documents described in the schedule may be relevantly objective to privilege, which all led to procedurals in concordance with the Judiciary Committee by the subpoena's return date. Any privilege assertion should be made with the accompanying information. Sufficient time uh, to allow an informed process of assessment of the validity of the asserted privilege. Blah, blah, blah. The United States House of Representatives looks forward to your cooperation with this subpoena. Sincerely. Mm. And he wrote Kevin McCarthy's name. It's addressed to Hunter Biden. Oh. Think he'll sign it? No. Me either. Before we wrap up here and jump in with Brandon Dilly, I want to remind everybody that's listening today. Guys, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, make sure you subscribe to the show. Follow Steak for Breakfast. Hit the notification bell there as well. Anytime a new podcast dropped, it'll be automatically downloaded. Helps us out in the algorithms. Presents us as a suggestion for those great America First podcasts. In addition, across all of our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts. Follow us and hit the notification bell. We're going to be jumping in with Brandon Dilly in just a sec. But before we do, I've got one more from Matt Gates. He was on War Room this morning. I thought I was getting ready to get my kids off to school and head over to the studio. And uh, Matt kind of outlined a, a few of the things in the CR that we've already touched on, but but kind of wraps it up and puts it all together for us. Let's hear it. But, but let's get to this 8% cut, right? It's for 30 days. Is there a single agency of government where an 8% cut over 30 days is going to lead to any type of programmatic reform? Not even the people who are in favor of the Donald CR believe that the 8% cut is going to lead to any programmatic reform. It's just going to be a month where nobody buys any new laptops. Maybe they cancel a few subscriptions. (laughs) Is that what you won the Republican majority for? Is that what you knocked on the doors for and made the phone calls for and donated the money for? Because it's not why I'm here. I'm also pretty down on these like horizontal cuts. I think it is just lazy to say, okay, well, every agency is going to have the same percentage, 8%, 8 sounds like a good number. Mm. Like that's unserious. There are some agencies that need far, far deeper vertical cuts. And when you just do this homogenized percentage across the board, what it shows is that you're not able to go out and make the case for these specific things that you are trying to get, get rid of. So uh, I think that, you know, while it's, it's a, a sincere effort to try to demonstrate that we care about spending cuts, it's a virtue signal. It's, it's a not the actual it's work. A, it's, yes. It's not the work. That, that what do you think, Noah? Mm-hmm. Kind of leaves it out there, right? Yeah. Uh, before we jump here, I do want to let our listenership know they're probably going to be extremely happy with this. Uh, you know, you, you see some of these people. I'm going to read off the list of America First congressmen and women who are hard nose right now on the CR. Remember, once you get past four, it's not passing. Mm-mm. 
So just check out some of these names here, Noah. Andy Biggs. Yep. Dan Bishop. Uh Lauren Bobert. Ken Buck. Bobert. Boobert. (laughs) Tim Burchett. Eli Crane. Matt Gates. MTG. Corey Mills. Ralph Norman. Andy Ogles. Matt Rosendale. Victoria Sparts. Anna Paulina Luna. Paul Gosar. Tony Gonzalez. Bob Good. And Wesley Hunt. Think about those names right there. And then the fact, over the next three weeks, Andy Biggs, Dan Bishop, Ralph Norman, and Bob Good are all going to be joining us here on the show. Nice. I believe we've got 10 out of 18 America First House members who are voting no on this thing, who are going to be regular contributors on Steak for Breakfast. I'm sensing a trend here. Yeah. You don't think we're dialed in, and you don't think the narrative that's not only proprieted but commented on and broken down uh, on this show is one that is in the best interest of you, not only our listenership, but the American people moving forward as hopefully we're heading towards another Trump presidency is what we're kind of dialed into there. So we're going to keep an eye on this. Obviously, it's going to be developing over the course of the next 12 days. Uh, We're about to jump in with Brandon Dilley, but before we do, let's check in with one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the host of The Dilly Show and the author of Still Breathing, The Wisdoms and Teachings of a Perfectly Flawed Man. He's also the general who leads President Trump's digital online war machine. Always happy to sit down with Mr. Brendan Dilly. Brendan, thanks for coming back on the show. Oh, man. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm super excited to be here with you today. It's been a wild, uh, a wild month so far, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know what? For as much as of a lull as we all had to do to keep news relevant in the month of August, September has not disappointed, to say the least. No. Well, how's no, it- it's it's been it's been wacky because uh, honestly, and this is the thing that's so awkward, too, is um, look, the primary is over. Everybody can go through the semantics and the dancing and the the pissing away of money. Uh, but this thing is over and everybody knows it. the public knows it. The, the real people actually be, you know, behind the scenes working, know it. The candidates know it. And, and now it's I think that's this is a strange place to be. Have you guys ever seen a primary where it, it's inevitable, where, where you've got this many people still in a race that there is zero doubt about who the who the uh, nominee is going to be? When it comes to presidential primaries, the answer has to be absolutely zero and no, because it's never happened before. You never see, I mean, listen, Brendan, I know you've seen the clip. Trace Gallagher had Ron DeSantis on, uh, you know, live in the Fox News studio over the weekend. For as much as his head bobbled and, and excuses he tried to make, Trace Gallagher, who's a great friend of, of President Trump and America First, you know, kind of laid it out there for him. He's like, yeah, but the, the, the lead and the, is not, you know, anything that you right. can do anything about. And the arrow's going in the wrong direction. So how do you explain it? And he had no answers. Well, and that's and that's just it. And, and that's where I'm like, look, you don't have to be a political expert. You don't have to be on a campaign. You don't have to have inside sources. It's really not difficult. You can be a normal person. And all you need to do is go ahead and grab 20 polls uh, consistently, the same 20 over the last eight months and show me one where DeSantis is polling better today than he was in January. Just show me one. And the truth is there's not. He's completely cratered. This guy was within four or five points of Trump in January and in some polls was actually leading. And now he's down 50 or 46. If you want to be really, you know, cautious, <laughs> I mean, he's getting destroyed. And I can't imagine, honestly, what that must be like to work on a campaign where every week 
or every two weeks, a new poll comes out and you you never make up ground. You're always down another point, another two points. Like, and I get it. Oh, polls are fake. Polls are fake. Yeah, polls can be very fake, but trends are real, dude. And if you're trending across multiple fake polls, we don't know what the numbers are. We just know, yes, maybe, maybe you're not actually at 13. Maybe it's 17, but maybe the drop has been the same. Maybe you're still cratering. And that's that's the part that they don't want to address. And, and you understand it. When you look at this, and you go, there's a lot of livelihoods on the on the line, man. These people need these paychecks through at least May. Most of these campaigns, these people are because the other thing is the line was drawn in the sand. They were all told in advance. If you cross me, meaning Donald Trump, you will not work on the general election campaign. So many of these people who have a vested interest and this is their livelihood, this is what they do for a living. We're warned up front. If you go this route with me, I will not consider you for when the big money rolls in for the general. And so these people, I think, are really scared because they're going, I'm not going to have a payday for uh, at least a couple more years if, if I blow this. And I think they did. I think they blew it. And now a lot of them are in a little bit of a panic mode because they're trying to milk as much money out of this thing as possible because there's no paycheck for them past June of next year at all. Nope, and, and that's it. And, and listen, for all of our listenership, we always try to educate people as much as possible. A lot of these dirtbag consultants and people who are working on these campaigns who are not going to be working on the general election campaign for Donald Trump are going to try and go and fix themselves to America First House candidates and people running in Senate races because they're all going to be on the ticket as well and to try to make up for going against President Trump in the, in the primary. We have to understand that there's no quarter in this. I mean, there is no mercy for any of these people. And listen, if they go and jump on somebody's campaign, it's going to be up to all of us to continue to point it out and just delegitimize the amount of impact that they have on this stuff because at the end of the day and it's like brennan just alluded to their only interest it comes in a paycheck it has nothing to do with policy it has nothing to do who wins the presidential election next year it's just where does my next paycheck my luxurious lifestyle able to continue come from and you know we've had it it's it's no longer about listen donald trump may be a billionaire but if you want to talk about somebody that has no money invested in running for politics it's definitely donald trump and that's what makes him different than just about anybody else who's run for political office since like you know essentially the right. republic was founded because he's lost billions of dollars since he came down the escalator in 2015 absolutely man well and and the thing that's really gross ron i want to make sure that the, the audience understands this the we're not talking about people who took millions to essentially betray the republic these are scumbags doing it for like 80 grand a year yeah. one hundred and twenty thousand a year imagine selling out every ounce of your integrity and your nation not because you really love and believe in a candidate. Oh, this is my guy or my gal. And I love them. But imagine just being such a desperate loser that you're like, I'd rather, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter. I, I could go get another job. I could do the right thing and take a little less money. But you know what? I really don't want to give back my, my BMW. And so instead, I'm going to completely lie to the public day in and day out about my convictions and essentially try to bludgeon the only person trying to save America so that way I can collect a few extra bucks. I mean, it's 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 a pretty sad state of affairs in that in that industry. And I really hope that the way we're going about this and the, the destruction we have caused these other campaigns, I sincerely hope it leads to some type of a reform uh, with how how business is conducted over there uh, pre-election and, and during these campaigns, because it could be it could be a lot better and it would be a lot better for the American public. Yeah, and just the thing, you know, the thing is, a lot of these people who are involved, the, the ones that Brendan just mentioned, 
these are consultants or people that had like obscure government jobs that when Donald Trump made it clear that he's going to run for the nomination again in 2024, you know, essentially came to him and said, okay, that's awesome. I would love to be on the campaign. I'd also like a cabinet level position when you win the presidency. (laughs) And they'd be like cabinet level position. Like you've never heard anything. You've never held an office outside of a government staffer. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure I could head the Homeland security office. And they'd be like, no. And they'd be like, what do you mean? No. Like, no, we're not going to do that. That's what was wrong with the last administration. We had some bad hires and they, and they led to, you know, everyone trying to sabotage my presidency. We're not going to do that. The only people who are going to be on board this time are the day one reels of in America first. And that's it. And these people threw temper tantrums. And now you see the way that they act online, just completely unprofessional and immature and hateful. And it's, you know, it's, it's a big contribution that's, that's led to the downfall of Ron DeSantis and essentially everybody else that's running in the fake primary under Donald Trump. It really is, dude. I mean, that the thing that people I, I, I hope they understand, too, is that the, the fall of DeSantis and the 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 collapse of that campaign and that method of campaigning, um, it, it's bigger than just his campaign. This is going to be something that will change. I don't know if it's going to lead to better candidates, but what I will tell you is that the establishment GOP rhinos this is their last hurrah, dude. Mm-hmm. Karl Rove isn't impacting anything by 2028 now. Nope. These people are going to be a cautionary tale. They're dinosaurs. The way they do business, scumbags like Jeff Rowe, these, this guy already knows. He, he's already begun throwing DeSantis under the bus because he, because he recognizes that he jumped on a sinking ship, expedited it sinking further, took on a bunch of grassroots, unpaid, patriotic Americans who are backing Trump who essentially destroyed his uh, approach to to uh, campaigning. And now, uh, you know, he's he's looking at a very real possibility of not being able to conduct business in, in future uh, election cycles uh, due to the what's happened in, in this thing with DeSantis. DeSantis is like the perfect candidate uh, to take if you're going to destroy the, the establishment rhino community and how they do things. This is the end of it. This is the end of the bushes. I think Ken Paxton's exoneration, that's, that that also it all kind of goes together, man. The yep. establishment GOP is is at the end. They're at the the absolute end, and it's glorious to see. No, it certainly is to to watch it burn down in real time. And you know, as the hit pieces and the attacks continue to ramp up, Brendan, I know you've probably seen that over the course of the last few days, <laughs> we've seen attacks come out on on people like Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, Governor Christie Nome, who are you know staunch loyalists to President Trump. In addition to that, the uh, you know you'd expect it from the radical progressive left. You'd expect it from the mainstream media, but no, it's those who can't compete with Donald Trump within the Republican Party mm-hmm. who are trying to make abortion a national campaign issue again and, and make it the only thing that anyone should focus yeah. on, regardless of the rest of the country and whether or not it's burning down again, be the focal point of the 2024 election cycle. When you see that kind of stuff shaking up, is it just pretty much old tricks the kind of way we think it is now and, and doing anything to find a chink in President Trump's armor? Or do you think it's something else? No, I think I think it's it's probably people that are desperate. It just tells me how disconnected they are from the average voter, too. Um, you know, look, the average voter, the, nor- the a normal human being looked at Roe v. Wade being overturned uh, and looked at that and went, that's the end of that issue at a federal level. That's what they said. They didn't. Now, maybe they, they took up that fight and, and God bless them if they did at a state level. Congratulations. That's awesome. You should do that at a state level. It's a federalist system. Take it up at a state level. And if you feel that you need to, to go even beyond whatever your existing state uh, you know, laws are on abortion, congratulations. But what they're trying to do is bait him into a purity test, which is stupid. It's one of the dumbest things I've seen. They're trying to get him to argue about an issue 
that is settled as far as the American public goes, because I got news for you guys. There's 13 and a half months left. We all understand what we're looking at. Joe Biden is completely cooked mentally. He's gone. We have a country that is on the verge of an actual world war, like a major conflict that we are not equipped to deal with. We just crossed thirty three trillion dollars in debt by this time next year. Nobody anywhere in this country is going to be having a conversation about abortion. What they're going to be discussing is massive inflation. They're going to be discussing massive unemployment rate. They're going to be discussing massive violence abroad and unrest. People have no clue. And I said this back in January when they first tried the whole, well, let's just take them to task for COVID. And I told everybody back then it's a non-starter because eventually the rubber is going to meet the road. And as you watch people's savings rates decline, you watch their credit card go to the moon. You watch them end up go from a $250 a week bill for groceries to $475, $500 a week. You watch gas prices soaring once again, back up to five, six bucks a gallon in certain parts of the country. By the time we reach 2024, it is going to be, they're going to be on their knees begging to vote Trump. (laughs) Okay. And people, they are so out to lunch and it's always the usual suspects. It's always the same goofy bastards that were the last time. It's Ben Shapiro. It's Matt Walsh. It's a bunch of sit to pee Republicans that nobody respects or likes who have been anointed because they were willing to toe the line of the GOP establishment. These people are losing. I think they have diminishing impact on this country because when you try to take up an issue like that and you try to convince somebody don't vote for Donald Trump because he's not willing to go even further on abortion while that person is currently unemployed or un, uh, you know living off of credit cards, it shows a total disconnect with the average American. It, it shows their elitism. You know, somebody like Ben Shapiro, Shapiro pulling down $25, $30 million a year, Matt Walsh pulling down whatever he's pulling down, multiple seven figures. They, they have no connect to that actual blue-collar, regular, everyday American. And what's going to shock them is that the Trump voter this election cycle it ain't the Trump voter from 2016. Nope. And it ain't the Trump voter from 2020. It's both of those combined, plus a whole bunch of minorities that understand what's happening right now. We are, are the money that could be helping my family is being shipped to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. The jobs that could be helping my family are being given to illegal immigrants. And I am done with it. I don't care what you tell me about Donald Trump. These two things alone give me every reason to vote for him. And I think that's going to be a massive swing. They, they completely underestimated the Hispanic vote in this country. It's the funniest shit I've ever seen in my life. They actually thought you could import Hispanic people who are by nature, extremely nuclear family oriented and entrepreneurial uh, minded. And you thought that you were going to get them and settle them up here and try to convince them for voting to vote for a form of government. They just escaped. And now they're watching this as the Hispanic vote explodes for Trump. The, the influence in that community continues to climb. It's I, I think it's great, man. It's, it's perfect. No, I mean, you make a whole lot of sense there. I don't disagree with any of it. And when you talk about some of the other demographics, just look up. You have people, some of the biggest Democrat political strategists, you know, that are relevant in, in, in that sphere going on CNN and MSNBC and now like sounding the alarms that places like Michigan are back in play because of those disenfranchised 
Latino voters and then the Muslim yep. communities who now have second generation Americans after coming over in the late 90s after the first Gulf War whose children are being exposed to just absolute degeneracy in school yeah. and they're like you know what I usually vote with whoever everybody else votes for because I'm not really like all about it but this is absolutely fucking bullshit and I'm not going to let my kids be subjected <laughs> to that stuff anymore and they're coming out in droves and supporting for Donald Trump and it's it's one of those things to see Listen, they kept him out of the cycle in 2020 be- between the pandemic and the and right. the sham impeachments and the fact that he is back now present, again, touchable. You know, w- w- we just are, are going to, uh, you know, be talking about, uh, you know, the sit down he had with with Kristen Welker. There's still people bitching about the debates instead of the second debate. This time, Donald Trump's going to sit down with the United Auto Workers Union in Detroit. I- which is going to be absolutely phenomenal. But the fact <laughs> of the matter is, if you listen to part of that you know, news uh, interview that they did on Meet the Press this weekend, just imagine the combativeness that she tried to hit Donald Trump with and then seven other people trying to yell at him at the same time. Why should the right. clear and present winner even subject himself to that second-rate loser bullshit? It just makes no sense, and it factors into the equation that, guess what, we were all right and you guys were all wrong, and, and right. we're going to ride this pony all the way back to the White House. Brendan, I well, want you to be able to uh, give us an update on everything you've got going on online, too. Listen, the commentary you do on your podcast is one thing, but the complete, I'm going to do another one, apparatus mm. that you've got set up in regards to helping support <laughs> President Trump and America first, it, it can't be beat. It's something that literally people would pay tens of millions of dollars for if they were parts of a campaign. But you've got people that get up in the morning, regardless of their family situation, of their work situation, and all the hard things that we're going through in this country at a time, and they get out there and they fight for President Trump. So if you could tell us more about the Dilly Meme Team and all that other stuff, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Uh, the Dilly Meme team are incredible people. And the thing is, is it, the best way I can explain it to people who aren't familiar with our work, you've seen it. You just didn't know it was ours. But I'm telling you, the best way I could explain it's like this. Um, imagine having a PR company that never sleeps. Yeah. And the PR company doesn't just put out little, uh, you know, little public statements on your behalf. The PR company actually takes video and narrative and can control a narrative, can change a narrative because they don't sleep and they're cooler than all the idiots putting out the counter narrative. And that's what we've really, we've sort of established. We are the counterculture. Uh, we know it. Uh, we're irreverent. We're not afraid of anything. Uh, we're, we're not afraid to go where other conservatives wouldn't go. Uh, a lot of people gave us grief for the deep fake of DeSantis uh, in what he should have said uh, to step out of the race. Uh, so much so that we made NBC news down in Miami and they did a whole expose on it and they're looking at this and it, Look, a lot of a lot of Republicans would say that's not in good taste. And I don't care that we're, we're America first. Um, I don't really believe in the two party system anyway. I think it's stupid. And so my team acts accordingly. We're here uh, to to represent uh, President Trump and push uh, as much as we can to try and get him to real get reelected. And for me, and this this does comes from me. It comes from me, but it also is something that the entire team has a shared value of. I it's not enough for me to win. And this is going to sound really bad, but I'm going to say it. I need to destroy everybody that's standing in our way. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't have any fucking interest in dealing with these idiots uh, once Trump's back in and they, they're going to try to go forward with, uh, you know, usurping his next administration as well. I would rather deal with that problem now. So if we can collect scalps, disintegrate campaigns, destroy entire careers, uh, lay waste to fucking all these garbage, uh, you know, hired hands, these henchmen. If I can eradicate every fucking one of these people before Trump's in office, we will all benefit. And that's the way the entire meme team approaches it. There's nothing we won't do, say. Uh, we don't really give a fuck. We will make it right with the Lord when it's our time. But before then, uh, it's about America first. And it's about Donald Trump.
I'm pretty sure when he sees some of the and listen, some of the memes are funny. You know, Hal Hydra and Please Clap always make me <laughs> laugh. But at the same time, dude, some of those memes that Lauren Eve and, and Miguel Forney, the songs that they dude, they will bring tears to your eyes. Like, yeah, I, and yeah. I'm not Leah, Leah's Leah's singing with Lauren uh, visually or Mike singing Miguel California. It uh, you're talking about really exceptional people. It's yeah. not these aren't the little stick figure memes from 2016. This is a whole production company uh, working for free because they're grassroots and they believe they believe in Donald Trump. Well, that's the thing, too. Again, like we talk about Donald Trump being the most touchable candidate. This is probably, I'm talking figuratively now, the most touchable meme team in the history of the Internet as well. You reach out to these people. You thank them for their work. You ask them questions about what went into it. They'll message you back, and they'll they'll interact with you. It's just amazing work that you guys do over there, and we can't appreciate it enough in this fight to get Donald Trump back into the Oval Office next year. Brendan, we're going to live link not only your book but the show. We want people to go out and subscribe and support you in any way, shape, or form they can today. If there's anyone else you want us to live link or where we could find on social media please let us know i uh, appreciate it guys yeah you can uh, find me on on uh x i guess at warlord dilly uh you can also reach out to the meme team if you if you have a worthwhile cause you have something going on you need uh we do we do a lot of work uh dilly you can reach out to us there or if you just want to check out a lot of our content uh we've got it saved in a library right there on the website so dilly or uh, at warlord dilly can't say enough about this guy and the work that he's doing. Can't wait to sit down with him again next time he joins us on the show. This is author and host of The Dilly Show. Brendan Dilly, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate you guys. The women of Concerned Women for America would love to just quickly say a prayer over with you. Would that be okay? If you'd like to join me, lift your palms up to the Lord and join me in prayer for this president. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. That we live in a nation where we get to choose our leaders. Thank you, God, for giving us a president that was willing to do the hard thing, to make America strong, to make our military great again, to support innocent life. God, I pray that you will continue to bless America. And God, I pray for President Trump. I pray that you will keep him safe. I pray that you will surround his family with angel armies and keep them safe from those who wish to harm them, even those that wish to hurt his children, God. I pray for them at this moment. God, First Peter tells us to humble ourselves into the mighty hand of God, and he will lift us up in due season to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. God, I pray that President Trump will feel cared for I pray that he will be able to cast his cares on God. And I pray, Lord, that you will fill him with peace, fill him with joy, Lord, and continue to help him to feel resolute in protecting, in protecting America. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we promised you last week that we'd check in on Donald Trump's speaking events. And... From the Pray Vote Summit and the Concerned Women for America conference that he spoke at last week, there was some really wholesome content there we're going to be checking in with right now. You know, here's the thing, Noah. A, a lot of the big knocks on President Trump is demographics that he doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, control as far as voting goes, according to the mainstream media. We all know that that's not true. Uh, that would be mothers, single women. Uh, certain age demographics that include women as well. 
But when you see some of these groups that so warmly welcome... Like and, they're trying to say those people don't vote for him? Yeah, they say that, that they aren't really numbers where he does great in. Huh. It's surprising. I, I have a feeling that's changing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you want me to tell you how I know what you just said is factual, Noah, because by the end of the show today, we'll see the, the one big issue that the mainstream press, the radical left, and even those who are, and I'm air quoting now, competing with Donald Trump in the presidential oh. primary. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to some poll numbers later that show there's not much of a competition left. But they're bringing up one issue that, you know, they're, they're trying to make a focal point when in the totality of things is a long way from being resolved. And I don't think at the end of the day, even though he's done a lot to combat uh, this huge issue in the United States, that's abortion, uh, that Donald Trump is going to uh, be the man who solves the problem in its entirety. So moving on here, we're going to bounce between the two events. And, and Donald Trump was talking about, you know, this great country for how long it's been there and, and how important the Judeo-Christian values that this country was founded on is it, something that we still need to hold near and dear to today. Let's listen. For nearly 250 years, our nation has been propelled by the power of prayer and guided by the hand of God in heaven. It was faith that led the pilgrims across the perilous seas of Plymouth Rock. They came to Plymouth Rock, Maybe you've heard of it. and that was a long, arduous, and deadly journey. Such a glorious It rock. was faith that moved our founding fathers to change history forever and proclaim that our rights to do do not come from anywhere other than from our Creator. And it was unflinching faith that inspired generations of pastors and patriots, chaplains and soldiers, farmers, workers, laborers and pioneers to make America the greatest country in the history of the world. No lies detected there. Nope. Also, if you want to touch on the, the radical climate mafia's agenda, it's pretty weird how Pl Plymouth Rock is still present on the, the shores of <laughs> Massachusetts <laughs> when, uh, you know... Got to be buying up that beachfront property. You know, I think it's important when President Trump does this. We we talked to, you know, one of the campaign strategists, one, one of Donald Trump's inner circles, Chris Lasavita, about two weeks ago on this. And even though the rallies are great, the optics are great, the momentum he gains from having such a large audience be present and to listen to him speak when he does them are fantastic and a great weapon to have as part of his campaign strategy. But when you look at these more intimate events that Donald Trump is doing and the fact that he is presenting himself as the touchable, you know, wholesome candidate that he ran on in, in 2016 again, I, I've, it's it's really hard to, you know, not think that he's stronger than he's been in since he's, you know, entered the political arena. What do you think, Noah? Yeah, for people that are detracting from him saying that he's losing his punch and losing voters and whatever, what have you. Now, he's he's only getting stronger because as you've seen with how much the the backfired mugshot has gone. Mm -hmm. How how many millions of dollars is he up? Oh, it's got to be close to 30 or 40 million by now. You know, it's actually great. I haven't gotten my merch yet though. I'm a little upset. Me either. I mean, we do have our N words for Trump shirt. You won't let me hang up in the studio yet <laughs> sitting right next to me here, but you know, I'm we're you waiting. You can wear it. No, I'm not wearing it. <laughs> But, but we, we are waiting for our Trump mugshot picks, and I, I ordered a couple other things. I got the generic uh, Trump 2024, just two black T-shirts for my kids because mm -hmm. they make them take off anything else that has Donald Trump on it at school. 
And uh, they can get away with wearing that. I mean, I told you my daughter wear the Trump hoodie to school a couple of times. And the last time she wore it, they took it off her and made her bring it to the office. And I had to get out of my car at the end of the day and go pick it up. Why? It was the one where he's standing on the tank with the eagle on his. Oh, forearm. but just 2024 is okay. Yeah. So just one that says Trump on it, it'll obviously trigger, but there's no, they said it was for the weaponry that was on the shirt. However, I walked past like kids wearing like Fortnite shirts and with bazookas and yeah. fucking gangster rap shirts with dudes with Mac tens. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. So it's just, you know, one of those things where it, it's wild times, but we'll do the best to help make my kids school great again. Mm. Eventually. <laughs> You know, I want to remind everybody where you're listening to the show today. Hopefully you're enjoying it. Big thing right here for us. Make sure you're following our accounts across every downloadable podcasting platform, especially on Apple and Spotify, but on iHeartRadio and Google Podcasts as well. Follow the show. Make sure it's downloading. Helps us out in the algorithms. Helps us out in the top 100. Listen, here's the deal. And I'll lay it out there for you guys as simple as possible. You know, we talked about with a bunch of people about this lately as far as, you know, marketing and strategy. Listen, Steak for Breakfast is never going to be monetized. We will never ask you guys for a dime in regards to funding this show. However, the free downloads that we offer as part of all of our content, which is free, only helps us out become a more relevant voice in, in the political arena. And here's the thing. We're about 1,000 subscribers away from being a sub top 30 show every single time we put one out. You know, we have to fight and scratch and claw for every download we get, every episode we put out. And, you know, for as, as widely as they're being shared on places like X or Twitter, whatever you guys want to call it, if the posts are getting 70,000, 80,000, 90,000 views every time we put out a show because everyone's doing a great job of sharing it, if a couple thousand of those 90,000 would go and just follow the show and let it automatically download, you'd see us, you know, combating all of the boomer establishment, K Street, narratives that get a lot more play in Sacred Breakfast simply because you're not subscribed to the show. We're smashing people in other uh, areas, right? Where'd you say we were like the top podcast recently? Oh, but believe me, they love us in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> nice. So, I like it. yeah, we're number one there. We're number one in Vietnam. But we'd like to be as close to number one as possible in the United States. Mm -hmm. and, and the only way we can do that is if you're enjoying a free download by simply following the show. It's very easy to do. It takes one click. doesn't really do anything to you except help support us. And we'll continue to bring you the content the guest caliber that's only going to get better as time goes on. And then across all of our social medias, of course, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, regardless of how shadow banned they are, hit the notification bell so that every time we can put out content, again, you guys can help share it. And we really appreciate everyone in our listenership and everyone on social media that's working hard to make Steak great again. So and the subscription stuff's really important as well because, like, we experienced ourselves after we had Trump Jr. on the show. Sure. All of a sudden, our notifications from whatever the Spotify, yeah, from Spotify, e immediately just went into the spam <clears throat> trash, the spam folder. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's wild. It is. Listen, all of these podcasts that remain relevant in the news cycle, and these people that you know are are in the top, let's just say, twenty five podcasts in America, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year into marketing alone. Mm -hmm. That's not including all of their paid ads. You know, you you hear some ads on Steak for Breakfast. I'll lay it out for you guys again, as simple as possible. All those ads that you hear on our show are American-owned small businesses who we like to help. Free ad reads for a promo code, and all it does is help you guys, you know, save on your order when you support these people. And, and it's kind of just like, you know. And there's a new one at the bottom, too, you got to check out. Yeah. I mean, we've added a couple coffee companies, like the one Noah just mentioned. Battleborn Coffee Roasters. And, and of course, over the last month or so, you guys probably have noticed we've partnered with Beard Vet, who's 
beloved in Trump world and a huge part of the America First movement as well. So th that's the thing. You know, I'll reach out to these guys and I'll be like, hey, you've got a great product. Would you like us to do free ad reads? In turn, all you have to do is give us a promo code. We don't want it. You know, they'll be like, oh, well, well, let me pay you. No, we don't want money. Okay, let me send you like free coffee and gear. We don't really need that either. We're just going to make a commercial. We're going to put your promo code in the show description and we're going to help drive people to your small American-owned, veteran-owned, et cetera, business and, and help you guys out. Yeah, as soon as Battleborn gave me the promo code, I immediately ordered stuff and yeah. used our promo code. And that's it. You know, it's one of those things where if we're not all helping each other, like we ask our listenership to help out with the subscriptions here, again, it's free. It, it doesn't do anything except help us out. You know, it, it helps make the show uh, become more presentable when it comes to the charts, which is what we're trying to do. We want our voice and therefore your voice to be heard louder than, listen, if you want to continue to have like Megan Kelly and Dave Rubin and Sean Hannity and the Ruthless Podcast be the voice of conservative podcasting, be my guest. But at the same time, I would love to become so relevant that they start uh, complaining about us. That would be fantastic as well. And the only way we could do that is with your subscription. So make sure you subscribe to the show on any downloadable platform. And again, we really appreciate it. All right, getting back to these uh, speaking events here, the, the Pray and Vote Summit and the Concerned Women for America Summit that Donald Trump spoke at last week. One of the big things that he's adding to the campaign trail as part of messaging is the stuff that's going on with the January 6th uh, defendants and the people who have already been put in jail over it, etc. You know, we saw the Department of Justice put out some bullshit charges on Ray Epps today, which is going to be nothing at the end of the day except a slap on the wrist. But Donald Trump is looking for not only justice, but retribution for all of these families and the people who, you know, may have not even done anything, including not even being in Washington, D.C. on January 6th and have gone to jail over it. Uh, and meanwhile, Ray Epps is walking free. Yeah, weird. Let's hear the way President Trump's segue on this one. Marxists and Stalinists and the administration got a Washington, D.C. jury to convict five pro-life activists who are now facing up to 11 years in prison for simple acts of protest. You read all about it, you hear all about it, and you talk all about it. Under Biden, others are being sentenced to 10, 15, and even 20 years in prison for retribution for their political beliefs, while Antifa and other groups burned down cities like Portland, like Minneapolis. <laughs> they went into Seattle. What they did in Seattle was um, they basically took over a big percentage of the city. They kill people, they loot, they plunder, and they go free. The political repression is immoral, and it's very, very un-American, and it's very dangerous for them to be playing that game. To reverse these cruel travesties of justice, tonight I'm announcing that the moment I win the election, I will appoint a special task force to rapidly review the cases of every political prisoner who has been unjustly persecuted by the Biden administration. You know what's going on better than anybody so that I can study the situation very quickly and sign their pardons or commutations on day one. I want to sign them on day one. I want to see what's going on. It's a horrible thing that's happening. So there you go. For all the people, again, who often, you know, perpetuate lies online about Donald Trump not doing anything for J6 families and defendants, 
you know, not only is he privately hosted and paid for numerous events throughout the course of his time out of office uh, since 2021, but now he's announced that he'll be creating a task force that's going to specifically look at political prisoners and how they were persecuted by the weaponized Department of Justice and have, you know, pardons and, and communications ready for them on January 20th, 2025, the day he's sworn in so we could start getting these people out of jail and back nice. home. So I, th- I think that that's something that just kind of debunks another bullshit narrative that we often hear from, you know, it's not even the left. The left could care less about these people. It's people within the Republican apparatus mm. who are often out there, you know, talking about how Donald Trump just does nothing and how Donald Trump just kind of let all of these people, uh, you know, trap themselves and then just kind of forgot about him and doesn't care. I, I want to remind everybody again, you know, one of the biggest talking points that you could always push back on that narrative is like Donald Trump is in himself a January 6th defendant. Yeah. So legally there's probably only so many things he can do, but I can tell you off of past experiences and, and seeing it with my own eyes and talking to the people who are running a lot of these uh, foundations and charitable organizations that are helping and supporting these families. Uh, Donald Trump has done a lot. And it's not just money wise, you know, FaceTime is, is sometimes as equally important to these people and, and, you know, letting them know what his plans and intentions are as it is, you know, cutting checks for these people to make sure that they can keep the lights on in their house or that their kids have a great Christmas, uh, which is hugely important. So we're getting ready to jump in with Bryant Live, but I do have one more clip here. And this one's from the pray and vote summit that Donald Trump was at and, and having this good wholesome messaging uh, coming from the president and not necessarily just hammering on campaign issues is again one of the things that is helping him resonate with more and more voters as we're in this election cycle and and you know it's it's one of these things that you you have to be able to understand that he's not just running to reinstitute agenda 47 and, and have the continuance of Trump era policies from his first term in office Donald Trump talks about all the time, whether it's like the transgender thing or, you know, like I said, they're, they're trying to bring abortion back up as a huge issue or, or just the way, you know, that that certain groups, pro-lifers and uh, Christians and Catholics have been targeted throughout the course of this Biden administration. You have to take into account that Donald Trump, the man, the, the, the human, you know, feels compassion and, and the need to support these people and remind everyone that he's just not running to be a political leader. He's running to be, you know, the leader of everybody. That's whether you want to lean on him uh, philosophically, whether you want him to, you know, make your, your family or your individualized uh, experience better again financially or whether, you know, you want to lean on him for to promote and protect the values which, you know, help shape the way that this country's going. The direction of it is not great right now, but it's going to take a strong leader like President Trump who is going to protect the leaders underneath him uh, to, to be able to get us back on the right track. And, and I think going to events like this, it's it's huge. So let's check it out here where he's making some biblical references and, and, and seeing just how wholesome some of these events were. The disaster of Afghanistan, which I think was the most embarrassing moment in the history of our country, and the press doesn't even want to talk about it anymore. The most embarrassing moment in the history of our country, and Putin saw that, and China saw that, and they saw that we had a lot of very incompetent people, and uh, it was it was a rough time. But we'll get that done. We'll get it done very quickly. As the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. You know that, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. I made peace. Remember, Hillary said, he will take us into war. No, I took us out of all these wars. I got us out of Syria, got us out of Iraq. I protected Israel. 
they would have been in a big problem. But I'll be your peacemaker, and I am the only candidate who can make this promise to you. I will prevent World War III. We are very close to World War III. Let me tell you, we are very close to World War III. And World War III will be like no other because of the power of the weaponry. The weaponry we have today is just incredible. Can't really argue with that there. Nope. I mean, he was the peacemaker president, and the fact of the matter is, in, in all the things he, he talked about there, he kept Iran in check. He had a uh, good, I would say, professional relationship with Vladimir Putin. There was no invasions going on during the Trump presidency in, in regards to Russia. He smeared ISIS? Yeah. And remember, al-Baghdadi cried like a little bitch before he blew himself up inside of the cake. That is a quote from President Trump. Yeah. And, and you know, he walked into North Korea and told Kim Jong-un to his face that he looked handsome and thin. So it's, <laughs> it, it's one of those things where when you want to talk about, you might not like the way he does it all the time, but the guy does get results. And, and he had results on Friday. Speaking of both of these events, you know, President Trump's going to be speaking tomorrow, which will be Wednesday out in Iowa. He's got a couple other speaking events lined up this week. Obviously, we'll see if there's anything pertinent to the campaign or the show, and we'll be able to bring him to you on our Friday edition of the podcast. Guys, we're getting ready to jump in with Newsmax Insider and the Executive Director of Case Pack USA, Brian Live, right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code stake here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the executive director at Case Pack USA, and he's also a Newsmax insider. Always excited to sit down with Mr. Brian Live. Brian, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me back on, guys. Appreciate it. Well, Joe Biden's uh, <clears throat> mumbling and stumbling through some prepared statements over at the UN now. I saw that you were tracking that pretty heavily today. You want to give our listenership a little update on some of the uh, long-term relationships and money he's given away to the rest of the world? Yeah, well, you know, surprise, surprise, when Joe Biden's in front of a teleprompter, he's mumbling his way through uh, a very what would be a very easy speech for any politician. But for him, it's it's pretty difficult to get through it. Uh, I guess some some headlines that I've seen so far is he's tried to take a very tough stance against China. Um, doesn't really sound like much. Sounds like a bunch of words, not really much in the way of action. Uh, and he also talked about wanting to commit another $25 billion of U.S. US taxpayer, uh, taxpayer dollars uh, to supporting the World Bank, $25 billion to the World Bank. Um, you know, it's just, it's never ending. I mean, the, the flow uh, of money from, it's around the world. And I mean, we're over $30 trillion in debt right now. And we're still talking about sending billions of dollars around the world to other other entities. And, and of course, we all, know about the uh the prisoner swap deal that joe biden um uh, announced on 
actually the 22nd anniversary of 9-11 past Monday. You imagine that. Joe Biden can't find uh, find the time to, to be at any of the 9-11 crash sites, but certainly they find the time to release uh, on the 22nd anniversary that we're, we're giving $6 billion to a country that would love to wipe not only Israel, but us off the map. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, I guess, business as usual for the Biden administration, you know, America last projecting weakness onto the world and our adversaries get stronger and eat our breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, let's stay in the thread of that uh, Irandio. That, that kind of came out of nowhere, especially flew under the radar and, and has been dissected a whole lot more, at least in the mainstream media, uh, following 9-11 because, obviously, of the, the terror attack memorial holiday. And, uh, you know, when you talk about mm-hmm. Iran's global footing and the ability that the, the Biden administration has allowed them to creep back into being present on the world stage, you know, when you have the government of Iran saying that they're going to essentially use that money that's getting unfrozen by the Biden administration for anything they want, you could only assume it's only going to one of two places, funding terrorism and then uh, obviously nuclear development. Um, you know, Brian, as someone who's who's a staunch advocate of, of Israel and, and, you know, we've talked about it the last couple of times you've been on the show, the disintegration of the relationship between our two nations under Joe Biden when you see something like that, you know, happen and, and where this is most likely eventually going to aid Iran in leading, how alarming is it? Not just for, you know, the, the country of Israel, but, but but for the United States in regards to our, our military and national readiness. I mean, it's alarming for, for any any country uh, in, the, in the world. I mean, especially for us and for Israel and our, our Arab partners in the Middle East. But I, I, I think it is just such uh night uh, the biden administration is just being so naive um when they think that if they release six billion dollars to to iran that iran is going to utilize this money for humanitarian purposes and listen it's worth pointing out that abraham raisi who is the president of iran did an interview with uh i think it was nbc or one of the big uh, one of the big players here in the u.s and they they pushed him on this they said what are you going to do with this money and he said i'm going to use the money I'm going to use my money however I see fit. So in the eyes of Ayatollah Khomeini and in the eyes of Abraham Raisi, they believe that them sending hundreds of millions of dollars to Hamas and Hezbollah and other terrorist groups out there, that's that's part of you know their humanitarian efforts. They're supporting the freedom fighters. And, and, and you better believe that's where this money's going to go. I mean, the money's being held in a Qatari bank account. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you really do we really think the Qataris are are gonna care whatsoever in terms of how the Iranians are spending the money? I mean, it's it's just so crazy that the Biden administration would would have the gall to first say, yes, well, you know, they're only they can only use it for humanitarian purposes. And then also say, guys, we have the the mechanisms in place to make sure that they don't do it. I mean, right, are the same mechanisms that that part of the Obama JCPOA said that nuclear inspectors would be allowed to inspect the nuclear sites. Yeah, well, that never happened. I mean, there's just so many missteps and and it's just crazy. I mean, imagine it's like it's like a crazy analogy here. Like imagine if if someone said, hey, Brian, um, you know, we're going to give you one hundred thousand dollars because we know that you're going to go out and spend that money supporting Democrats. Like, yeah, OK, like <laughs> I would spend a cent supporting Democrats. But but they believe this and they and they actually think that this is going to happen. Um, but at the end of the day, the people that 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 really lose the most from any type of deal with Iran would, would be three three areas, right? One would be the freedom and liberty seeking Iranian people. 
who are under attack on a, on a daily basis inside of Iran. Two would be the innocent men, women, and children in Israel. And three would be the United States of America home front here and also our military bases and our troops around the Middle East that yeah. will directly be uh, in harm's way. And um, it's just sheer hypocrisy that this administration would think um, to, to give this deal. And by the way, they're saying it's a prisoner swap, right? Yep. Right. Five prisoners for five prisoners. Okay, that's the deal. Done. Why do we have to include $6 billion? I, I think it was a, a Fox Fox News reporter pressed uh, John Kirby on it just yesterday. And Kirby said something like, well, listen, I understand what you're saying, but that wasn't the deal that we could do. So the deal, the deal, only deal on the table was we'll give you five people. You give us five people. We'll also give you $6 billion. It's just mind boggling, guys. Mind boggling. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And, and when you saw... Throughout the course of the Trump administration, the ability for international terrorist organizations to function outside of, you know, their bases of operation and, and conduct terror attacks worldwide, it was dramatically, um, you know, reduced under, under Trump because of, you know, the, the operations that we conducted in places like Syria and northern Iraq, uh, places in like North Africa, etc., this $6 billion is just the shot in the arm that these terrorist organizations need to get their footing back in, in on the global stage. Don't you agree? Yeah, 100%. Listen, President Trump's administration had a maximum pressure, maximum sanctions campaign uh, that was working, uh, really, truly was working. And it brought the Islamic Republic of Iran from having typically they would have anywhere from 20 to $50 billion in international reserves to where uh, January, when President Trump left office, the Islamic Republic had around $3 billion in international reserves. And like, granted, $3 billion is a lot of money, but for a sovereign nation like Iran, $3 billion is like literally probably a couple months of like keeping the lights on and paying the rent and paying all their terrorist proxies. Um, and unfortunately, the Biden administration pivoted very much away from that maximum pressure, maximum sanction campaign. And in fact, they they left sanctions on the books that the Trump administration had put into play that said that the Iranians were not allowed to sell crude oil to the Chinese or to the Venezuelans. They left the sanctions on the books, the Biden administration, but they never actually enforced those sanctions. What does that mean? Well, the Islamic Republic of Iran went from that three or $4 billion in international reserves in January of 2020 or 2021 to they have over $60 billion in international reserves. And that's happened in just like a year and a half. So, um, yeah, I mean, and again, you know, like what 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 do we see? What do we see the Iranians doing with that money? They're pushing it out the door to fund their terrorist groups. They're pushing it out the door to to do research and development projects with the Chinese. I mean, this is like this is. I know we've talked about this before, but this is what happens when America projects weakness onto the world. We drive our adversaries closer together, and the fact that you have the Islamic Republic of Iran that's never been closer to China, never been closer to Russia, never been closer to Venezuela, and a ton, and a bunch of other small countries as well, like. The Islamic Republic of Iran has grown exponentially, not just from a financial means, which we have, which we have emboldened, but also from from a territorial perspective. I mean, they have solid relationships now uh, in place around the world, and, and that's happened on Joe Biden's watch. Yeah, it sure has, and uh, you know we're going to continue to track this. I know as we head deeper into the campaign season, you've seen the Trump campaign. 
make a major pivot towards the general election with, uh, you know, some of the topics they've been talking about and, and, and narrowing his focus on people like Joe Biden over the course of the last couple of weeks that, you know, the, the current stance on Iran is going to be uh, uh, at the forefront of Donald Trump's policy platform as he moves forward in this uh, primary process. Brian, last thing I want to touch with you on it, you know, we've talked about it on the show today. I think it's it's pretty important. The only way Joe Biden can continue to screw up American foreign policy and then, uh, you know, ruin things here at home is if he's able to operate under the context of an open government. Uh, we surprisingly saw a lot of America first Republican infighting this week up on Capitol Hill is now the Senate and House have reconvened over the course of the last two weeks. Obviously, we're talking about the appropriations process and the fact that, you know, we're less than two weeks away from seeing on whether or not the government's going to be shut down or not. When you see some of the, uh, the big guns in America first, let's just say Matt Gates and Byron Donalds going at it, uh, you know, in the way they have over the continuing resolution to fund the government for a month while they, uh, work on appropriations. Do you, do you think it's time to sound the alarm or do you think this is kind of just part of the process that it's going to take to, uh, meet somewhere in the middle? I think it's part of the process. I, I, I think that there's, uh, certain factions of the America first movement that, that want certain things to be extrapolated uh, from from this CR, this continuing resolution, uh, and I and I think it will. Listen, at the end of the day, I think we're we're all on the same page, we're all on the same side. Um, but I will say, like my personal perspective is, I have I've longed for the day where one day we would throw our arms up and say, well, you know, we can't reach a deal and we can't fund the government anymore. Like there would be so many worse things that could happen, in my opinion. Um, where, you know, if these members of Congress, you know, we're, we're not getting paychecks, you know, for, for a month or so, you know, maybe that would actually drive them to, to start doing some things and start doing, actually start doing some work. Um, but well, you know, we'll see what shakes out with this. I, I think we're, we're in very interesting times here. And you also, may I, may I add that when it comes to the Gates and Donald's, uh, spat, I think that that also is some foreshadowing in terms of what potentially could happen in Florida down the road. Um, certainly, Matt Gates has uh, has has said he'd like to run for governor. Uh, I've spoken to, to Byron before. Uh, I, I'm sure he would love to run for governor. So you know, there's probably some uh, uh, you know foreshadowing uh, in that regard too. And uh, and we'll see what happens. By the way, as a Floridian, I'd be tickled pink uh with either matt gates or byron donalds uh as as uh as a future governor uh so we'll see what shakes out but i think at the end of the day um you know the america first movement the conservative movement will come together and align behind this and do the right thing for the american people i think so as well and you know when you talk about those two potential gubernatorial candidates down the road and as early as 2026 things look good for the sunshine state so Excited to see that as well. Brian, we're going to live link Case Pack USA in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media and want to check you out, where else can they do it? Yeah, take a, take a look at our website, CasePack, C-A-S-C-P-A-C dot O-R-G. Uh, take a look at what we're doing at Case Pack. And just one really quickly final point when it comes to uh, uh, the U.S. and Iran. Um, I think it's very interesting that Abraham Raisi, who is now on U.S. soil, is being protected by the U.S. Secret Service, while at the same time, people like Mike Pompeo, who I was with last week, still to this day, is traveling everywhere with a Secret Service detail of seven people. Why? Because of threats from the Islamic Republic of Iran. So Mike Pompeo is not free to live his life without fear of being killed on U.S. soil. 
but yet the Biden administration is going to give Secret Service detail to Abraham Raisi. It's uh, again just a head scratching moment, and I, I urge all of your your listeners to to really be tuned in with what's happening on foreign policy and and what happens when when America's weak. These this is the nonsense that happens, guys. Thanks thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, Brian. This is the executive director at Casepack USA, one of our great friends, providing some fire commentary today, Mr. Brian Live. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, guys. All, all of that, the policies that you mentioned of the Biden administration is one reason that Donald Trump is leading in the polls right now. What's your take on this, that as we see more indictments of Donald Trump, he seems to be gaining in terms of popularity with the public? Will it, he be the nominee? I think he will be the nominee. And the thing is, President Trump is stronger today than he was in 2016 or 2020. And there's a reason why. They saw the policies of what he was able to do with America, putting America first, making our economy stronger. We didn't have inflation. We, we didn't have these battles around the world. We didn't look weak around the world. Well, it looks like Ron DeSantis is now trying to work with your colleagues who are pushing for a shutdown. Yeah, but I don't think that would work anywhere. A shutdown would only give strength to the Democrats. It would give the power to Biden. It wouldn't pay our troops. It wouldn't pay our border agents. More people would be coming across. I actually want to achieve something. And this is where President Trump is so smart that he was successful in this. You know, President Trump is beating Biden right now in the polls. Yeah, we have the poll. Let's show it. He's stronger than he has ever been in this process. And look, I, I I served with Ron DeSantis. He's not at the same level as President Trump by any shape or form. He would not have gotten elected without (laughs) President Trump's endorsement. And so I believe our best step forward, pass our appropriation bills so we're stronger. Take the wokeism out, secure our border to make America strong. It's very fluid, and I think someone's got to go out there and grab it, and that's what I'm going to do. Nobody's entitled to be nominated. You got to show up in these early states and you've got to earn it. And that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I mean, in terms of leaning toward a candidate, Governor, uh, latest polls, Fox News poll shows Trump now with 60 percent. That's an increase. You're in second place with 13 percent and then on down the line. And then a new Quinnipiac poll. Trump's got 62 percent support nationally. It was 57. You've got 12. It was 18. These polls after Hurricane Adelia, which highlighted your leadership, <laughs> just the needle's not moving for anybody but Trump. Well, look, and in some cases, it's moving in the wrong way. But I think it's it's a, it's a state by state thing. So we're focused our efforts on the early states. I mean, if it was a national primary, we'd have a different strategy and we'd be applying our efforts differently. But he's leading substantially in all of the early states. He's too. not leading by those numbers. I can tell he's you that. And, I, by those numbers, and the fact that they're the fact that they're now sending him there <laughs> shows, and you actually are having reporting. Even some of the uh, liberal outlets are saying. Saying, you know, the governor is doing what you need to do to Iowa. Uh, former president's not, and there's a lot of concern or in Iowa. So yeah, yeah. Well, so we're going to do that. So so I think, but I think it's at the end of the day, it's very fluid. I think the fact that you know we had a summer where these cases were being brought, and I think that that has helped him because people look at our DOJ and FBI. And they see the corruption, they see the weaponization. And so I do think that there's been some sympathy for that, and understandably so. The media is only jumping on the let's get rid of Joe Biden because they're, they just want the Democrats to win no matter what. Well, there's it's another, not like they feel pain for the working class. There's another, re- the other leading indicator to the media are the polls that have been coming out repeatedly that right. show Donald Trump winning overall and Donald Trump yes. significantly ahead in key battleground yes. states. That's what rattles their kids. That's right. Yeah. And that every time they indict, every time they do you a mugshot, every time they do anything else, his numbers keep going up. Well, as you can see, the narrative has made a complete shift now to kind of accept the fact that Donald Trump is the clear cut nominee 
uh, in this primary process, and you're hearing everyone from Speaker McCarthy, who you would expect to ex- remain neutral. I mean, he's going to be the people's speaker under any president, correct? Right. How is that Ron DeSantis cope and seethe on a good for Trace Gallagher to hold? <laughs> I mean, I know Trace Gallagher and Cash Patel are friends, so you got to think maybe there's a little Trump bias there. But he's like, Governor, the needle's moving in every direction except in yours, and in some cases, it is very bad. Yeah. Not as bad as some of the news that's coming out for Ron DeSantis as well, uh, not just in the polls. I don't know if you saw over the weekend, billionaire international donor class member, Ken member? Griffin, head of the Citadel Group. He announced that he's going to be pausing his support for anyone in the Republican primary as it continues to shake out. Pausing. Mm. So for all the millions he's already dumped into Ron DeSantis, he shan't be paying any more. <laughs> and uh, DeSantis just got paused. During the same interview, he also said, let's be honest, Joe Biden's going to die uh, before his second term is over. So he's he's a hard no on supporting him as well. Oof. Yeah. That's risky to say something like that nowadays. You want to talk about some of the press that Donald Trump's been getting lately, especially these sit-down interviews. We teased him meeting the press last week on our Friday edition of the show with a preview clip. We're going to get into that interview a little bit now in our third news segment, as it was great checking in with Brian Live. I want to remind everybody, Trump attorney and constitutional lawyer Jesse Benal is coming up at the end of this segment here, so buckle up. we still got a lot of great content left on the show. Here's the thing. Donald Trump announced over the weekend that he's going to be meeting with the auto workers union on the same night at the same time as the second Republican national primary debate. Really? Again, he's going to be seizing the opportunity to meet with someone who is going to potentially help his reelection cause instead of going up there and getting the same kind of service Donald Trump is currently getting on some of these interviews. When you talk about Kristen Welker, who led into her interview segment on Sunday's edition of Meet the Press with talking about how awesome it is her, a diversity, equity, and inclusion hire herself, Mm -hmm. is going to be bringing a whole lot of just that to what she's going to be doing as she conducted her interviews. Noah, when you listen to some of these clips right now that we're going to dive into, if you haven't heard them yet, just imagine if Donald Trump was on the debate stage and, and surrounded by seven other podiums while someone like Welker is asking these questions and then pushing back on him uh, in such a combative way. Trump would still smoke him. And he smoked her. But the fact of the matter is, is like, why should he have to subject himself to that stuff? Yeah, that's true. It's not Donald Trump the candidate anymore. It's Donald Trump the presumptive nominee and former president. There's a different standard that he needs to be held to than any of these beat up and, and, and you know, shitbag politicians who are running alongside of him and, and way behind him in the Republican primary. Uh, getting things started here, of course, they had a very... Uh, nonpartisan and unbiased question to get the interview started. Will Donald Trump seek a third term (laughs) after he wins the election next time in 2024? Let's check it out. Is there any scenario by which, because Ron DeSantis says if he were elected, he'd have two turns and you'd only have one more turn. Is there any scenario by which you would seek a third term in office? No. Just so you understand, when DeSantis says that, that means he's not your man. He's not your man anyway because he's a very untalented guy. He's proven that. <laughs> he started out, everybody was talking to him. After I worked him over a little bit, he's gone down the tubes. I, I think he's going to end up being number three or four. He just had a poll today. He was number four. And by the way, the one that was number two was 59 points behind. So, you know, it's very interesting. But when somebody says eight years, we need eight years, 
No. In six months to a year, many of the problems, almost all of the problems that you and I have just spoken about will be solved. Anybody that says they need eight years, you don't want that person. Hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of people that detracted from from Trump and saying that, well, you know, he had four years and he didn't get anything done. It's like, well, meanwhile, everybody was fighting him tooth and nail for everything he did get done. But when somebody's actually coming in and they think that they're actually going to be there for eight years and they think it's going to take the entire time, that entire eight years period of them being president or, or whatever position, he did get a lot done in the four years. And then as him coming in as what would be considered a lame duck president where he doesn't have to worry about reelection, he can just smoke everybody out without worry. Sure. No, I mean, and that, and that's it. You know, just to kind of interrupt that segment here, it's just been announced from the United Nations is having their General Assembly this week, and Vladimir is up there giving his little dictator spiel from the lectern, and guess what he just said? Zelensky tells the United Nations General Assembly that the Ukraine will reject any peace deals with Russia. Oh, good. Forever war. The forever war just got that much longer. Make sure you zizzer forever war. Hashtag forever war on X. We're going to need a bigger <laughs> Abrams tank. Oh, come on. Just stop. So just no no stipulations. Just no. There will be no peace. No peace until cookies. That's it. Before, at least, there was a stipulation that they wanted to regain all the what Donbass region mm-hmm. and Crimea from what, what what year was it that he wanted to go back to? 2014. 2014. <laughs> I mean, G- Colonel McGregor, who was on the show last week with us, said Vladimir is going to fuck around and find out that he's going to lose Odessa in the next Russian offensive, too. Oh, yeah. And they're not going to give it back. No. So it, it's one of those things. Well, I mean, our military industrial complex doesn't want this to end. No. So the worse, unfortunately, the worse the Ukraine does and the more Ukrainian soldiers die. And they got to be just getting down to the fucking bare bones. Like, there's people that don't even want to be there that are getting conscripted into fighting, I'm yeah. sure. Russia's doing the same thing, but at sure. least they're winning. Yeah. And they have a vast, larger military than Ukraine. Yeah. And that's the thing. This ends when when entities like the military-industrial complex say it does. Or if, if Donald Trump comes back to office, those are pretty much the only two outs we have. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe... Maybe he's not lying when he says they won't accept a peace. Maybe it's like he should have said, I've been told I won't accept any peace deals with Russia. Yeah, right. So that's kind of where we're at now. Much like, you know, of the fake news bullshit that that Welker was trying to hit Donald Trump with uh, during his Meet the Press interview on Sunday. Let's hear this. Tenth of a point. You need one tenth of a point? I needed a very small win? I think somebody said 22,000 votes. To win? Yeah. If you divide it among the states, it was 22,000 votes, something to, to that effect. Yeah. To win the election? Yeah, if I would have had another 22,000 votes over the whole... But look, they rigged in, the election. If you look at Pennsylvania, but Mr. President, if you you're look saying at all you needed stuff, more votes to win the election. Are you Excuse acknowledging me. you if didn't you win? Look at, if you look at all of the statistics, all of the votes, they say 22,000 votes over millions and millions of votes, 22,000 votes. So when they do Twitter files or when they have 51 intelligence agents come out and lie that the laptop from hell was... Russia disinformation, and now they find out it's not. But they knew that at the time. Uh, they cheated on the election I, in that way, too. I just want to be clear, though. Are you saying you needed those votes in order to win? Are you acknowledging you didn't win? I'm not, not acknowledging. No, I say I won the election. Got her. 
and it's just silly. I believe it's like forty five thousand votes that it would have took between you know those uh, six swing states and a couple of the battlegrounds there. That would have nothing. Been. No, and it was it was just around the same number. I believe it was like thirty seven thousand in twenty sixteen that Donald Trump was able to defeat Hillary Clinton by you know a collaboration of some states within the Rust Belt and the Blue Wall states. Uh, he's not wrong there. You know, when you look at Joe Biden's supposedly 81 million votes and Donald Trump's close to 75 million votes and the fact that that election, you know, in both instances that Donald Trump ran so far have come down to less than 50,000 votes, period. You know, you have to take into consideration the work that needs to be done in those states. And also the fact that you have to push back on that narrative when, when people kind of, you know, use it against you. They'll, they'll go to Joe Biden's popular vote reference, which is, we all know is complete and total utter bullshit. Yep. Whether or not you think that vote total is legitimately real or, or when you take into consideration how much the margin of error was, what are we talking about here? Yeah. You know, it, it's one of those things like the, the mainstream press will make it seem like, you know, the 2020 election was like this non-anomaly where it was just another case of Democrats beating Republicans and everybody should just move on. Uh, you know, going into the Stop the Steal narrative and the January 6th stuff, that would be, believe it or not, where the, the interview went from there. Um, but before we get into that, guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you're subscribed to the show, following the Steak for Breakfast podcast there. Uh, the downloads help us out immensely, as we've already reiterated a couple times on the show today. In addition to that, across all of our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Stake for Breakfast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. So, you know, in, in addition to talking about one of the cases where, you know, they're talking about the votes, I don't know if that's kind of directed towards places like Georgia, they would also talk about the aftermath of the 2020 presidential election and the legal advice Donald Trump. They're trying to get, like, receipts in the mainstream press right now that can probably only be used against Donald Trump in court. I don't want to elaborate on it too much. Let's, let's check it out. The most senior lawyers in your own administration and on your campaign told you that after you'd lost more than 60 legal challenges that it was over. Why did you ignore them and decide to listen to a new outside group? Because I didn't respect them. Uh, You'd hire lawyers, them. sure, but that doesn't mean you know you hire them. You never met these people. You get a recommendation; they turn out to be rhinos or they turn out to be not so good. In many cases, I didn't respect them, but I did respect others. I respected many others I, that that said the election was rigged. You called some of your outside lawyers. You said they had crazy theories. Why were you listening to them? Were you listening to them because they were telling you what you wanted to hear? You know who I listened to myself? I saw what happened. I watched that election, and I thought the election was over at 10 o'clock in the evening. You were listening to your instincts. Uh, my instincts are a big part of it. That's been the thing that's gotten me to where I am, my instincts. But I also listened to noticed. people. There are many lawyers. I could give you many books. Uh, I, there are books that are written on how the election was rigged. There are numerous that books that were written Bob's on how book? the election was rigged. Just like to be it. clear, were you listening to your lawyer's advice or were you listening to your own instincts? I was listening to different people, and when I edited it all up, the election was rigged. <laughs> there are books were you calling that are written. shots, though? In fact, Molly Hemingway wrote a great book. Oh, were you calling rigged. the shots ultimately? Excuse me. Molly Hemingway, mm -hmm. who's highly respected and Maybe great, you've heard of her? she wrote a, a book, a, a best selling book called Rigged. Were you calling the shots, though, oh, Mr. President, ultimately? Uh, as to whether or not I believed it was rigged? Oh, sure. I, okay. I, it was my decision. But I listened to some people. Some people said that. Um, like guys like Bill Barr, he was a stiff, but he wasn't there at the time. But he, he didn't do his job because he was afraid. You know what he was afraid of? He was afraid of being impeached. He was petrified to be impeached. And he's, how do you not get impeached? Don't do anything. So there was that very non-combative and, and, and unbiased take on, on Twitter. 
you could tell Noah it's just turning into be a gotcha moment right now. And, uh, you know, when, when he sits down for some of these interviews, you can only speculate what it would look like on the debate stage if not only the moderator acted in the fashion as Kristen Welker did, but if he had seven other people all yelling at him at the same time while this was happening. It just doesn't set up for a winnable situation. And, again, when you have places like Fox News who just a few I guess even weeks ago was all in for Ron DeSantis now basically telling him to his face, no governor, it's 60% now in the, in, in the primary polls. Like, okay, you don't have the same, uh, you know, deficit in places like the first five primary states as 60%, but it's still pretty fucking bad. What, what are you going to do? There's not much you can really navigate around that as far as narrative to kind of save face. So Donald Trump sticking to his guns. And he's sticking to the narrative that he believes that the 2020 presidential election was rigged and stolen. There's evidence to support that theory at the very least. Uh, Obviously, there are some factors that have been proven since the election that shows, you know, just exactly uh, what he's talking about when he references that. And and he's not going to get any sympathy when it comes from the mainstream press as far as saving face when it comes to his legal cases and some of the stuff that he's working on, especially in the instances of the Georgia one and the January 6th case. So... Again, no, I know we teased on it a couple times today. We got to talk about this real quick. It's the issue of abortion. They're trying to find anything to like ding Donald Trump on. Yeah. Donald Trump is ran as, and and I'm quoting him now, the most pro-life president in the history of our, our republic. Okay. You know, he's shown up at events that historically presidents don't attend. He's supported groups historically that are kind of taboo to the mainstream and, and presidents usually stay away from. He's provided a platform for people who, you know, are completely against abortion to thrive under his first administration. But here's the thing. The issue of abortion is not going to be solved in 2024, whether you like it or not. I'm 100% pro-life. I even consider it like a gray area for me when you talk about the big three, the safety of the mother while she's pregnant, instances of rape and incest. You you better bring like a, a, a Loctite case or a doctor who's going to say like this person will literally die if this pregnancy continues at the very least. That's that's where my stance is. But, mm-hmm. but I know when I go out into the real world as a human with an IQ over 87 who thinks freely for myself and takes into consideration the, the narratives of other people in the way that they feel about this instance, that my take on abortion or Noah's take on abortion isn't actually going to be what our national policy is, whether yeah. I want it to be or he wants it to be or anybody wants it to be or not, especially those in the pro-life community. I just don't understand how people can't get behind that at a certain point, regardless of how you feel about it. It's fucking evil. Well, and here's the thing, Noah. Like, you, I mean, you catch it within a few months. Like, I mean, I don't know how, like, Abortions work. I don't either. No, but I mean, like, if you're if you're a girl and you miss your period or whatever, and you take a pregnancy test, like that's within a certain window of time. Okay, I understand. There's the gray area with the initial thing for like that. that. But like, when you get down to like, well, we're just gonna be okay with like, you know, as long as we pull it out feet first, we can chop its head off. Like, yeah. it's it's fucking evil. It's, yeah. it's insanely evil. And here's the thing: for as much as we feel that way, Noah, you know, this has been on the ballot. Since Donald Trump has left office in six states, two states are ruby red. Mm. You can't get any redder. Two states are reddish, and two states out of the six are purple. Mm -hmm. In just about every instance, the anti-abortion bills have lost by a 60 to 40% margin because people don't want to put 
a necessarily date or end to this practice for some reason in this country right now. I mean, all you have to do is walk out of your front door and kind of know why. But that's just kind of where we're at, you know, and and now people in the listen, it's not the pro-life community. It's not the Democrats either. These are the anti-Trump establishment groups who are hitting Donald Trump on this issue. Here's the deal. And again, Donald Trump is never going to pass himself a, a bill that ends abortion. Donald Trump did, however, run on the platform of nominating Supreme Court justices who were going to overturn Dobbs and, and you know, get rid of Roe v. Wade, which he did. I can only assume that in the same breath, Donald Trump will do the same kind of policy-driven platform in a second administration. But when you try to put days or weeks or months or trimesters on these things and hold him up to narratives that make it live or die, you see all the people who, listen, if you're not winning the primary, you could say whatever the fuck you want. That's why Mike Pence you know, calls for a national abortion ban. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's at 1%. You know, Ron DeSantis, he signed the, the heartbeat bill in, in Florida, which, listen, I don't necessarily uh, think it's a bad thing, but but here's the deal. You could run on some more of those in the mainstream media's eyes, radical things. Listen, I'd like a national abortion ban just as, as much as the next person, but the thing is, when you look at just the science of it and where it's already been tested on ballots, what the demographics of the state look like, and the fact that some were red, and some were purple, and you get the same result across the board, we're not ready for it yet. Mm-hmm. That's up to the states and to the legislations there, and at the end of the day, it's up to the voters. If you want people in office who are going to pass legislation like that, then you need to vote them in and not have people who are more moderates or ones that don't like to touch on these hard issues like abortion uh, You know, being elected to office on, on, on the behalf of your vote. So we're, we're, we're going to take a look at this clip now. You know, It didn't seem as bad at the time, but the anti-Trump movement on the right has just turned into a shit show over the course of the last couple of days. Voters who are going to be weighing in on this election, yeah. a very clear sense of where I think you stand I on think this. they're all going to like me. I think both sides are going to like me. Let, let me what, but what's let going Mr. to have to Mr. happen Mr. is you're going to have to... This question, Kristen, please. you're asking me a question. What's going to happen is you're going to come up with a number of weeks or months. You're going to come up with a number that's going to make people happy. Because 92% of the Democrats don't want to see abortion after a certain period of time. If a federal ban landed on your desk if you were reelected would you sign it at 15 are you talking about a complete ban a ban at 15 weeks well people people are starting to think of 15 weeks that seems to be a number that people are talking about right now would you sign that i, uh, I would i would sit down with both sides and i'd negotiate something and we'll end up with peace on that issue for the first time in 52 years uh, i'm not going to say i would or i wouldn't I mean, DeSantis is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban. Would you support that? You think that I, I goes think too what he far? did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. DeSantis. It, ne- it never, it, just it, it just, it's never tongue. not going to make me laugh. No, and, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, he talks about how people who don't have any real skin in this game could just make more... Uh, what what some would consider like radical takes on this and, and, and run on that platform because Donald Trump knows at the end of the day he's going to be the president of everybody. Unfortunately for us, that includes the radical progressive left. So if he does, if he's not even open to having a discussion on how we change those 
in-state votes that we saw over the course of the last three years where it's like a 60 to 40 percent margin where people were voting no i don't want an abortion ban how we get that closer to 50 50 and then start getting individualized state w's no it's not going to work for him in the general election i mean we all know joe biden's stance on abortion it used to be like he was anti-abortion and now he's like i don't care if you pull the baby out you could still abort it after that that's wild i mean that's just where we're at with it right now and and you know you you would think people like donald trump are a breath of fresh air i mean do you think donald trump's going to give his 59 percentage points to mike pence so mike pence can run on banning abortion nationally it's not the fucking way the world works Mm -mm. So when all these people you have, you know, especially in, in the DeSantis community who are just resharing and reshaping and, and cutting off, you know, uh, they're making like clever edits to those clips. Just don't fucking listen to them. Just show them like the most latest poll or, or go rip the clip from our podcast of Trace Gallagher reading, the, you know, the writing on the wall to Ron DeSantis and what his <laughs> reaction was. And boy, was that head a bobbling. I'm um, getting ready to wrap here. I've got one more clip on this. But before we do that, I want to hit in some polls. Came out over the weekend. This is the Harvard-Harris poll. Came out yesterday, actually, which was Monday. 2024 National Republican primary polls head-to-head. Donald Trump, 69. Ron DeSantis, 31. Donald Trump, 71. Vivek Ramaswamy, 29. Donald Trump, 76. Mike Pence, 24. Uh, So he would actually have to give more than 59% for Mike Pence (laughs) to run on an abortion ban platform. Donald Trump, 74. Nikki Haley, 26. Donald Trump, 77. Tim Scott, 23. So Donald Trump is up, but, you know, doubling and tripling some of these candidates uh, across the boards. I saw some other polls that were coming out yesterday. This is, uh, okay, here's one right now. Let's see. In July, Donald Trump was up on Ron DeSantis 54 to 25. In August, 57 to 18%. And now, at the end of September, Donald Trump is at 62%. That's a plus 50 margin over Ron DeSantis, who is at 12 I mean, you really can't make an argument there. Here's a Reuters poll that was played on uh, MSNBC fake reports over the weekend. It talks about the Biden impeachment. 41% support it, 24% are unsure, and 35% are against it. So there is a large majority of voters that could could bump that up to over 50% in a very short amount of time. You also have uh, voters, including independents. Who are you backing right now, Trump or Biden? And this is uh, post-pandemic. And based off of a question uh, in regards to your finances, Noah, this is for independent voters. Joe Biden, 28%. Donald Trump, 71 Dang! Against Joe Biden. So, I mean, that, that that's actually really big. And then Fox News job approval polls for, for Joe Biden right now. Suburban voters, 38% approve of Joe Biden's uh, job approval when it comes to key items like the economy. 38% of suburban voters 39% of women and only 42% of people under the age of 45. That they are going to have corresponding disapproval marks of 61, 60, and 58%. So nearly 60% of uh, independent voters, when you're talking about key issues like finances and the economy, nearly 60% of independents hate Joe Biden. Last one I've got here, choice for president, potential head-to-head matchup, and this is a CBS News poll. Donald Trump, 50. Joe Biden, 49%. Last thing I've got going on here, you know, everybody's trying to get an emotional reaction of Donald Trump when it, when you talk about the possibility of the cases that are up against him and, and, and where these potentially go. Um, you know, she did ask about the possibility of him going to jail. I think uh, the best thing to do right now is just for us to listen. 
facing four indictments, 91 felony charges. If you would say it properly, I'm facing four Biden indictments. He told the Justice Department to indict him, or Merrick Garland said, let's indict him. Let me ask you this, Mr. President. They indicted their political opponent. I just want to hear from you on this. I want to know what's in your head. When you go to bed at night, do you worry about going to jail? No, I don't, really. I don't even think about it. (laughs) I'm built a little differently, I guess, because I have had people come up to me and say, how do you do it, sir? How do you do it? Uh, I don't even think about it. Uh, These are corrupt people that I'm dealing with. They're destroying our country. I don't even think about it. All I think about is making the country great, making America great. Maybe you've heard of it. These are political. These are banana republic indictments. These are third world indictments. The president of the United States sees how we're doing. We have a movement, the likes of which has never happened in this country before. And you see it with the polls. I mean, I'm up on these people by 60 points and 59 points. I don't mean I'm at 59. I'm leading them by 59. You almost say, like, why are they campaigning? Asa Hutchinson, he's at zero. Christie's at two. (laughs) Other ones are at one. Uh, DeSanctimonious is at nine. I just see a poll coming. I mean, I'm leading him by... 60 points. Mr. President. And you say, why are they doing it? But here's what they did. They saw this happening. And he went to the Attorney General of the United States and he told them, indict Trump. There's just no evidence of that, oh, Mr. What? President. You mean but let's- and there it is right there. You know, I've tried to encapsulate throughout the course of this show today just what it would look like if Donald Trump was on the debate stage. Imagine that back and forth right there if this bitch was the moderator and there were seven other people trying to hammer Donald Trump on an item like that. Oh, Mr. President, that's just not true. Oh, Chris Christie wants to jump in. Oh, Mike Pence wants to jump in. Oh, here comes Nikki Haley. Oh, Vivek's going to try and say something cute. Guys, listen. Here comes Ramaswamy with a steel chair. It's, it, that's where it's at. And, and you know, as we continue to move on through, through this and and with the president and his you know quest to become the nominee for the third consecutive time, um, we just have to take into consideration. It's good that he's not doing the debates, at least the first two. That's confirmed now, but it's also good that he's doing these harder interviews and is able to still push back on these people with the precision and accuracy that he did back in 2016. Guys, before we wrap here and jump in with Jesse Banal, I do have a little bit of announcement for our listenership today. One of our longtime listeners, he's been there since the Garage Band days. He goes by the handle of Ghost Hammer 4. He's retired now from the U.S. Navy. He just finished a, you know, he's worked there for 20 years. He retired as a first-class petty officer. He was an EO-1 equipment operator. He was part of the CBs. He would have lost his retirement during the pandemic uh, because of the the Govern- mandates, the yeah. Gov- the government mandated COVID vaccine mandates. And you want to know what this guy held his ground? He had a religious exemption successfully submitted, and he was able to finish out his career, which, you know, came to a conclusion last week. So, Ghost Hammer, don't think we don't only not see you liking our show first every time it drops, but we've really appreciated your love and support over the years. So, I guess we've got a one garrison salute for you. Oh! Scissor me timbers. And that's where we're going to wrap with that one. Guys, we're getting ready to jump in with Trump attorney Jesse Benal right now. But one last time, let's check in with our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. You get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. 
MyPatriotCigars.com. That's MyPatriotCigars.com. A premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's a constitutional attorney who does a little work for the 45th president of the United States. Always great and exciting when Mr. Jesse Benal comes and joins us again on the show. Jesse, thanks for joining us today. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here. Pleasure's all ours, sir. So I saw this morning we, we, we've we got some more news out, out of Washington, D.C. You know, Judge Chunkin is looking to uh, stop Donald Trump from pretty much doing or saying anything as, as the initial proceedings of, of one of his cases is getting ready to uh, begin up there. You want to give us a little bit of an update on, on some of the unconstitutional ways she's trying to make it difficult for the 45th president to uh, not only campaign but essentially live at this point? Well, let me let me just say from the beginning that um, gag orders are absolutely unconstitutional. Um, it's actually goes to the heart of why our founders gave us the First Amendment. Um, the founders didn't give us the First Amendment primarily, so you know, for the for the sake of of pornography um, and uh, some of the, the more uh, you know r- radical speech that's out there in in the uh, the art community. Although um, I do think it's important that a lot of those issues are still protected by the First Amendment. The reason that they gave us the First Amendment was to protect political speech and specifically to protect political speech from any sort of uh, injunction against speech. Um, and that would include a gag order. And the word that the that is used for that is a prior restraint on speech. And a gag order from, from Judge Chutkin is an absolute violation of the First Amendment for the very, very reasons uh, uh, that um, the founders did not believe that courts could, on the front end, tell people what they could or could not talk about. And that's especially true um, when it comes to important issues of political speech. And um, any restrictions from Judge Chutkin, quite frankly, are completely and utterly unconstitutional. It's something that um, the, uh, uh, I've, hope that they challenge immediately with the appellate courts. They can and they should um, challenge um, any such restrictions uh, with the appellate courts, uh, because this is something that has immediate consequences when you're telling um, a president, uh, a presidential candidate, what they can and cannot say on the on the campaign trail, what they can campaign uh, for or against, what they cannot campaign for and against. And really what this is coming down to, I think, is Jack Smith's team um, knows that this case has had the exact opposite effect of what they wanted it to have. Jack Smith's team wanted um, Donald Trump uh, to to be handicapped by their persecution of him in the court system. They thought this was going to be the easiest way to defeat him um, for returning to the White House in 2025. And when that didn't happen, when the American people have rallied to his side to support him, next they tried to find other ways to shut him up because they are terrified of him returning to the White House. And they know that when the American people see the choice that is out there, and let's face it, right now this is a two-person choice. It is Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. And when the American people hear those, those two people, there's no doubt that they prefer the return of Donald Trump to the craziness that we've gotten from Joe Biden in, in recent times. And so Jack Smith and, and his team decided that they wanted to further put their thumb on the scale by asking for this gag order, this unconstitutional gag order. And I really, truly believe that the appellate courts now are, are going to step in um, and uh, put in some proper oversight there. 
No, it's a it, it it's critical. And here's the thing: I, I want you to just stay in this thread a little bit with us, Jesse, and, and continue on. And, and the angle of Jack Smith and Judge Chuckin is not the angle that, you know, is, is what the reality is. It's not like Donald Trump is out on the campaign trail and saying like, okay, during this one part of our court hearing, uh, I would like for everyone in the audience at the Trump rally to look at Exhibit A and tell me why this isn't really something that I should be in trouble for. So let's all have a big bias. This is just Donald Trump going around and, you know, they're mad that he calls Jack Smith deranged. They're mad that he says that these are witch hunt and hoax investigations. And because, you know, he's trampling all over the legitimacy of what it is and it's his right to do it. It is important that he's been able that he is able to stay in that thread and and be able to continue to use that narrative. Oh, you bet. You bet. It absolutely. This is the most important issue facing our, our country right now is the weaponization of federal law enforcement and the and the federal criminal process, uh, the criminal process in general. And um, and that's something that the American people are really upset about. Obviously, it's something that President Trump um, is the best person in the world because of what he's going through to campaign uh, uh, about. And what it really comes down to is the fact that we have these career bureaucrats in Washington, D.C., people that are, are truly represented by the likes of Jack Smith um, and who uh, have never had their power questioned before. For decades and decades in Washington, D.C., in this town, they have never had their power questioned. And Donald Trump is doing that. Donald Trump is saying that it's it, we are not a country of, for, and by the bureaucrats. We're for the people, of the people, and by the people. And he's going to return us to that system. And um, and and so it, it's this is not a situation where, as you're saying, uh, President Trump is on the campaign trail um, talking about the, the intricacies of various pieces of evidence in the case or anything like that. He's talking about the biggest political issue of our day, which is the weaponization of the bureaucracy against Trump supporters and America first uh, uh, citizens. Yeah. And, and then when you see the, the unfolding developments up on Capitol Hill this week, Jesse, related to the budget battles and the appropriations process, uh, it's gotten so bad that even, you know, individualized Congress members of uh, America First are arguing with each other and and bickering over on whether or not we should keep the lights on and, and fund, you know, outlets like the FBI and the DOJ. We all know that if the government gets shut down on October 30th, the special counsel will live on in some context. You know, it still is able to operate under, I guess, like uh, appropriated funds that they have there. But but when you look at the deserving factor of all these federal agencies that have just been weaponized against the American people, do do you think it's a positive move to see people like Matt Gates and the other 17 congressmen and women who have put their foot down and say, like, you know what, unless we can do it the right way, it's just not worth keeping it open at the moment? Yeah, 100 percent. And um uh, Byron Donalds, who's a, a great member of Congress, I, I think made an argument very similar to, to what you just made. And that's right. So we have a shutdown that does not stop the operation of the special counsel office. But what can properly um, hold the special counsel's office back into check, the Department of Justice back into check, is exactly why the founders gave Congress the power of the purse. Mm -hmm. And that is legislation in the continuing resolution or in a budget that puts 
restrictions on Jack Smith's team operation. I think the restriction, quite frankly, is they can't operate until after the the election is over um, and they cannot expend any federal funds for the continued uh, uh, persecution of Donald Trump between now and um, the November uh, 2024 election. And so while it is true that a just allowing the shutdown won't allow that to happen, you can put that in the continuing resolution. And really what needs to happen now is uh, all Americans need to call their member of Congress and say that, you know, that they absolutely demand that uh, such a a rider be put in the continuing resolution, um, because that is the way our checks and balances work. The founders knew that the day may come when someone like Jack Smith was in um, uh, uh, the, the federal government, the federal bureaucracy. And they and so they purposely came up with a checks and balances system so Congress could could turn out the lights for them. And that's, I, I think, what needs to happen at this point. Well, we're huge fans of shutdown to uh, kind of reset the motion here. And uh, I, I think at this point, you know, yeah. if, if we allow a, a continuing resolution to pass unimpeded, all it's going to do is give the Democrats plenty of time, an extra 30 days to work on some ridiculous omnibus bill that they're going to say like, hey, you know, we, we tried it for a month. We can't get to a, an agreement. Omnibus is the way we funded the government for the last 30 years. So let's just keep doing it. And it's just like, man, we you got bet. We got to be able to figure out a different way. And, and I think the, the process that we're going through right now up on Capitol Hill is a great start. Jesse, you saw probably today. Uh, very interesting. The FBI charged none other than Ray Epps with one count. The intent to impede and disrupt orderly conduct of government and or official business. None of the other massive felonies that have been tagged on from people who, you know, either entered the Capitol on January 6th to ones who weren't even in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. For some reason or another, it looks like the FBI wants to figuratively, you know, burn this asset that they had throughout the course of that process. When you saw the way that this was kind of slipped into the news cycle this morning and how fast it's already being dismissed, what do you think? I think that uh, it shows us more that we cannot trust this current Department of Justice that we have. Um, we cannot trust uh, the FBI. We cannot trust the Department of Justice because they will do whatever is necessary to cover up um, their wrongdoing and, um, and try to continue to pull the wool over the eyes of the American people. Uh, and that it's just, it's a very, very sad day that that's where we are, but it is, it is very clear. And this is yet another example of the department of justice, uh, not being frank, uh, with the American people, not being, um, uh, not, not giving us the, the full answer. And instead now bringing this, like you said, this one count indictment, um, that really seems, uh, to, to simply try to, to justify the acts of the department of justice when it comes to January 6th. Uh, victims over the last two years. Yeah, it's, it's two and a half years. I mean, all the other ones that you'd commonly see civil disorder, trespassing on restricted grounds, you know, uh, parading and, and that charge that's been out there. None of that stuff. Just some random misdemeanor that, you know, is, is definitely looks like it's more uh, figurative than literal when it comes to what the consequences will eventually be for this. And it's just interesting to see how, uh, you know, that's kind of been scooted in and out of the news cycle. Yeah, uh, we, we need to bring this federal bureaucracy uh, back in, into to account to the American people. I think that's the one thing that through everything we're talking to, about today that we see is that if we don't have a president in January of 2025 who will hold these bureaucrats to account, it's just going to keep getting worse and worse. They're going to be more and more emboldened. 
um, I truly believe that that we're we're truly done as a as a country if we don't win this next election. That's it right there. I think if if they can figure out a way to defeat Donald Trump in 2024, the, the radical progressive left and the Democrats in power will feel like there's nothing that could stop them moving forward. And that brings yep. me to the last thing I want to touch with you on. Probably one of the most important and, and rarely talked about items of this upcoming election cycle, and that's the Supreme Court. You know, when you see issues on the campaign trail starting to reheat up again, like the battle over uh, the the abortion debate, Jesse, and how important Donald Trump's appointments to the Supreme Court during his first term were, there is a huge potential for at least two conservative judges, and that's obviously Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito, to you know be replaced at some time during a potential second Trump presidency. When you just look at the, yeah. the, the demographic and, and, and breakdown of the Supreme Court bench right now, how important, even more so, is it for Donald Trump to win the next election because of those uh, you know, lifetime appointments that he'll be making to the bench and, and where conservative politics and, and, and just basically the rule of law will go for decades after that? Yeah, that's a great, great point. Um, you know, and those two Supreme Court justices are critically important. Um, you know, I personally hope that Justice Alito and Justice Thomas are on the court for decades. Um, it is impossible to to, uh, to really replace the kind of legal genius and character that those men have. Yeah. Um, but at some point, you know, uh, we are going to need to replace them. We need to make sure that we have the right president to do that. But one of the really important things to to remember is we always talk about the Supreme Court and the importance of the Supreme Court. But the one thing that we've seen this year with the the handling of these uh, uh, matters with with President Trump is the importance of having lower court judges as well. One of the most effective things that Barack Obama did in being able to to entrench the deep state is putting these hard left politicians on the D.C. federal courts in the, the D.C. Uh, circuit and the, and the D.C. federal court. Um, and we need to make sure that not just for the Supreme Court, for these lower courts um, that are, uh, quite frankly, you know, the Supreme Court only takes about 70 cases a year. All the rest of these federal cases go to these lower courts. Donald Trump did an outstanding job um, getting judges uh, on the courts during his first term. And I think he's going to be even better about getting, uh, you know, great America first uh, judges on uh, the courts during his second term. So that, again, another critical reason to make sure that he is uh, not just the 45th president of the United States, but the 47th. Listen, I can't disagree with you there, Jesse. I think especially after Donald Trump has had a uh, firsthand perspective on, on, on I, what would you call it, Noah, an exclusive tour through not only the state but federal yeah. court system that it's going to be probably at the top of his list to appoint some really good yeah. judges moving forward. <laughs> Absolutely wild times we're living in. And no kidding. Great that we have somebody like Jesse Benal to talk with it about. Jesse, we're going to live link the law firm and, and everything else you've got going on in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? At Jay Banal, that's J-B-I-N-N-A-L-L. Uh, that's uh, Twitter, Truth, Social, and Instagram. Or I shouldn't say Twitter, X now. There you go. This is a constitutional attorney who's fighting hard for America first and everybody else that lives in the United States. Always love sitting down and talking with Jesse Banal. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, guys. That was a good one. What do you think, Noah? Ooh, good if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 275 other editions of the show, make sure you're following us on every downloadable podcasting platform. That's on Apple and Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. Find Steak for Breakfast. Subscribe to the account. Everything is free. I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy it. Also across our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. 
We want to thank all of our guests for coming down and uh, spending a little time with us today. The executive director for Chairwoman Elise Stefanik's Alex DeGrasse, host of the Dilly Meme Show, Brendan Dilly, constitutional attorney Jesse Benal, and the executive director of Case Pack, Brian Live. You all helped make steak great again. Guys, I know we've got a couple days before Friday, but don't fret. We'll be back with an absolute heater to end the week. Former Trump OBN, Russ Vote, Congressman Alex Mooney, President of the New York Young Republican Club, Gavin Wax, and retired Colonel Rob Manis will all be here. So on behalf of the rest of the podcast team, I'm Roan. Noah, later. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Be sure to take care. Did you find the files? I don't even know what they look. What do they look like? They're in the computer. They're in the computer? Yeah, they're definitely in there. I just don't know how he labeled them. I got it. You gotta figure it out. Roger. In the computer.